The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. Now join Out Now with Aaron and Abe, already in progress. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron and Abe is unfortunately not able to make it this evening. He had to work, but it's okay because we have a lively panel. We have a really great topic to go over because it is October. It's near the end of October. We've been doing these horror episodes all month long, which are always very fun. We've talked about diversity in horror, Friday the 13th for its 40th anniversary, arachnophobia for its 30th anniversary, and of course, Giallo and Italian horror, which was a really fun episode that we put together last week, and all those are available on iTunes. This week, though, for our last October horror special, we are doing a commentary track for Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. That's right, the 1960 Psycho, not Gus Van Sant's 1998 thing that exists. We are going to talk about this film which will probably end up including conversation about that thing. But that is what we're going to do this evening. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have a lot of things to talk about here because it is always fun to talk about perfect movies. Um, joining me to discuss Psycho with his commentary track, we have host of the Brandon Peters show. He goes a little crazy sometimes. It's Brandon Peters. And we all go a little mad sometimes. Norman Bates, Psycho. Billy Loomis, Scream, quoting Norman Bates, Psycho. <laughs> also joining us from the Milky Way Blues, they may have fooled him. But they didn't fool his mother. It's Nancy Burns. Hey, guys. Glad to be here. And from Wise Blue and founder of Flicks for Fans, he wouldn't even harm a fly. It's Jason Coleman. Blood, mother. Blood. Blood. <laughs> How's it going? <laughs> Easy to clean up. Just use a little uh, use a little spick and span. And live from Mike Pence's head, we have the fly to talk about Psycho. No. Uh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> How are you guys doing this evening? Good. Happy to be uh, happy to be celebrating the uh, what would what what anniversary would this be for Psycho from 1960? This is the 60th 60th year. Yeah, 60th anniversary of of really uh, uh, an absolutely fantastic film. Proud to be part of it, and even just watch it, you know, over again. It's a it's a fantastic film. So real proud to be here. Good. That's that's the right attitude. <laughs> Who's not excited to talk about Psycho? Like I messaged Aaron, I was like, "Psycho tonight, yes!" <laughs> yeah, that's that is what's going down. For, ever, for anyone that's unfamiliar with how this works, basically, Brandon, Nancy, Jason, and I, we all have the film currently paused at a certain spot in our particular particular releases. Uh, we have 25 seconds in. So if you have the Blu-ray, you probably have a Universal logo that pops in, and then it goes to a Paramount release logo before it goes to Bernard Herman's famous score. So we have it paused right at the Paramount release logo. So that's about 25 seconds in. So if you want to be plan on watching the film with us, pause it around there. It's it's like about, it's about eight seconds before the actual psycho theme just starts playing and introduces the movie. So in that realm, you'll probably be fine. If you're just listening to listen, you're good. You don't even you just you just luck. You just hit the jackpot. You're you're fine. You just get to keep listening. You don't have to pause or anything. You're set. But. That is what's going to happen here. And I'm going to count down from three. And on the sound of go, we're all going to press play and just talk about this movie. So are you guys ready? No. Indeed. 
Yes. <laughs> oh, mine did it too. <laughs> we like keep right talking so there. long. The thing keeps wearing off. Okay. All right. Now we're ready. We all good? Yep. <laughs> okay. Three, two, one, go. All right. We're kicking it off now here. The film the studio did not believe in. Yeah, this was uh, <laughs> a lot of a lot of work went into getting Psycho made, uh, as any film goes. But in particular, for Hitchcock, who's coming off, I believe, a hit with North by Northwest. It was his comeback, like, yeah. It was big, yeah. After what? After um, Vertigo didn't do too well. It was like he was supposed get, to be done after Vertigo. That was get, the get Cary Grant in here. Let's make like the ultimate Hitchcock film. Wrong man chases cross country score big excess studios all kinds of things. And he makes that movie, and it's a it's a slam bang for the most part as far as the box office goes. And then it's like, what is he gonna do next? What's Hitch up to? And like what Alma what, finds the book, right? Yeah, yeah I mean. Basically, a lot like this is Kubrick style too. Just buy all the bestsellers at the bookstore. We'll find one of them. We'll make it. That was kind of, and that's how a lot of filmmaking did. Like everybody talks about, oh, there's no original ideas. Well, they used to just take books and make them into movies back in the day. So <laughs> how original is that? And isn't it fascinating that even coming off of those hits, that he would have a hard time getting Psycho made, that somebody wouldn't go, oh, well, it's Hitchcock, you know, who cares what he's going to make, you know, he's always going to make something interesting, but that he had to, you know, based on not only the history, but, you know, that Hitchcock movie, it shows you kind of the history of how difficult it was to get that movie made to, 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 to you know, to get a studio to finance it or whatever. And so he, you know, he got his, his Alfred Hitchcock Presents crew to shoot it, you know, low budget style. Right. And so there you go. I mean, there's another example of a great, you know, iconic filmmaker who made a great movie but still had to fight to get this one done years after other doing other great stuff so and he, yeah, like you said the television crew does this but yet it looks super feature film like they use the yeah. the ability and that t shows you like the strength of a filmmaker when you know you can make 10 bucks look like a million like that's what he, i mean basically what it is here in this opening shot geez Pete, I, what's the what's the best intro to an alfred hitchcock film hmm. i mean also this is pretty up this, there, yeah, man. This is even though I know he didn't get the shot that he wanted, you know, because he wanted that full crank shot right into the yeah. into the thing. Wait, and I know that's what that's what Gus Van Sant was all did, itchy. Yeah. yeah, but it didn't make it better. Like, <laughs> but but it's still it's still it's still right there, mm -hmm. and it's it's great great you know even the without the visuals, just the 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 you know the stripes with the uh, with the Bernard Herrmann score. It's yeah. just it's right there. It gets you right into the vibe, into the feel of it. Yeah, I mean, this is just impressive. It's breathtaking, and it has this huge scale that the movie really isn't. Um, it's a very intimate movie, but it, it starts out gigantic. It's almost like he's he's going from Mount Rushmore mm. and in the previous film to right into the bedroom here to to give you a little more sense of what this is going to be. Indeed. And showing it's, images that, quite frankly, in 1960 weren't oh, really allowed. You know, I mean, yeah. you know, people, oh, the man in the shirt of a woman in a brassiere, you know, a toilet, whatever, whatever yeah. it may be, you know, it, 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 which, is, a, which is shocking to me that any of this stuff would be salacious at oh, all. Yeah, he was pushing it. I mean, in North by Northwest, you get the first ever view of a bathroom. And mm. this one, you get the first toilet and it flushes because like because it was they were like, OK, you can have your toilet, but it can't flush. You can't show up. But he's like, no, it's flushing. <laughs> what they do <laughs> but back up back up a bit too, right? yeah. what sorry it's the first woman in a, in a bra like that too i think isn't it i mean this scene this was pretty hardcore for them i i think there, there's probably issues you're probably right yancy um maybe for a major motion picture like this mm -hmm. yeah i think 
I think this is that's the question for me: is why did he choose this movie to try to to, to break so to break so many rules? It must be the transgressive nature of the story itself that really appealed to him. You know, it certainly I goes think so. I mean, it, farther it, than any Hitchcock. It, it it leans into the things that he certainly focuses on in an extreme like, way. And he's narrative rules, but you're breaking these precedents that. It's like when you go to see something, there's something about Mary and then you come out and all of a sudden semen jokes are suddenly, okay, I guess you can do that now. Because oh, he also, before. this has like four of those. Chip on his <laughs> shoulder, don't challenge me. So, I mean, he was already at odds with this film. That's what And I was then thinking, he's like, yeah. you know what? I'm going to do crazy stuff and make a, you know, monumental film. Like that's, that's his goal. That's how he saw it through. And the confidence well, is th- all over this thing. I, I think in terms of scope, like he's already, you know, he's coming off of, like I said, North by Northwest, which is a, for him, it's a huge movie. Like that, there's, yeah. a, there's a lot there. So if he's, if he's expanding his ambition from a scale point of view, I think as far as a content level and mm-hmm. just a thematic level, and he's already tried that, he's already tried that with Vertigo. Right. Among other among other movies. And now it's like, okay, well, what if I what if I really pivoted and not only capitalized on the kind of the horror aspect of the book that I've read that I want to make into a movie, but really like played into the content of that. I'm not just gonna show you murders, I'm gonna show you like reasons that delve into the mind and what you're thinking and what you're expecting and what what puts you in a in a certain kind of atmosphere, a certain kind of mood. So you have affairs, you have scandal, you have these things of this nature and it prepares you to get, you know, into the real grisly when as far as a, a serial murderer is concerned. Mm-hmm. I always felt like he was trying to keep the audience off kilter with this particular movie. I mean, wh- whether oh, yeah, it be sure. wh- I mean, whether whether it be all the you know the, the things you're thinking, you're, you know, the, the the taboo sort of small things that you're not really allowed to do. That he went, oh, let's do that. You know, well, From, where's, Jan- where's Janet Lee at this point in her career? Like, she's, she's a star. She's a star, right? Yes, here, yeah. This, I think, and the Touch of Evil was when was that? Touch of Touch of Evil's before this. Mm-hmm. She was a big star, big sex symbol star, who you know married to Tony Curtis, right? Yeah. So it's uh, and, so, at all, yeah, and at all advertising and posters and stuff, he yeah. put her right at the forefront. So she is the star. I mean, she, you know, according to people going in, not having seen it, she was the star of this movie. Yeah, you don't know. Also, in the movie, it's like it's it's psycho. Is she going to wind up being the psycho because she runs off with that money and stuff, and maybe she'll right. do anything to to keep running away? Even the so word doesn't have. I don't think even the word psycho doesn't have the relevance. Before this, right? Psycho, even though she's crazy, it is still from that bank. I, I guess that's and it's a new Hitchcock doing. movie, so it's like, oh, okay, so it's a woman gone wild, something of that nature. Yeah. I don't and exactly know. Real, think about the, the, the where this movie ends up going. There's nothing in uh, certainly American movies before this that there's Mr. Hitchcock. Here he is. There he is with his and hat. And we're about to meet his daughter, Pat, right here. Boom. Always given unflattering roles. Isn't she the one that gets to get choked to death and strangers on a train? Isn't that her? <laughs> Pat Hitchcock? Glasses. <laughs> yeah, I think she's the one that gets strangled to death. Is she the one that gets strangled? I think so. I'll look into that. But um, this is, who is this in the remake? It's, it's uh, Mrs. Tom Hanks. It's, uh, it's Rita Wilson. Rita, Rita Wilson. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. To talk about the off-kilter nature, just the structure of this movie. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, it's breaking. It's breaking so many rules as far as just what it's setting up here, because the the story that we're watching is so compelling. Everything about this leading up to well, Bates Motel, yeah. you are so invested in. You're so invested well, in her, her her journey here. Why she's making these choices? What's going on with this money? The idea that it would like going into this blind that like the random hotel clerk would suddenly mm-hmm. become the major figure in this film is right. insane. It's an insane. Well, thing. 
Every single character is memorable down to like the extra yeah. guy with two lines. Like I, they are iconic in my, this plastered Both in my mind. This guy is great. Yeah. Everybody, the cop who stops her is great. The, the cars, you, first time great. the customer pressured the salesman. Like everybody the cop, is great. It's the cop true. who is James Remar, who traveled back in time to be Perfect in this right. <laughs> I believe that's James Remar on both sides, by the way. I'll give, <laughs> you know what? I'll, just, I'll, give I'll give the remake this. James Remar is probably one of the best cast. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I'm 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 a fan, but I, I know you're a fan. I it's and it I mean there are things that work about it, but I just I think it's it's mostly miscast. That's my biggest issue with that movie. Well here's the with a lot but of miscast. roles, it's miscast in a very central way, but I remember in the theater feeling really happy when James Remar's face fell. I'm, I'm saying it, it seems like the most one of the most appropriate casting choices was okay, James Remar. That very that works. That fits it, for me. Here's the thing with the psycho remake and, and, if, and, William, it, and William H Macy, like that that that, that tracked. Right. It's like that's already right. balsam. That's if, that's if if Van Sant makes it and it's like an ex- a true experiment where it's just something he gets people to do in their free time and they kind of do it and he shows to friends you want to see that movie but if it's a major motion picture being released this is what, this is what i'm saying this is around, they made the remake in like 98 around the time that right. every, every year the MTV movie awards would do like cool little sort of shorts you know they do film scenes in between the awards mm-hmm. and that, and doing like 2 minutes of psycho as a remake would have been so cool to see and as you're saying if you heard that Gus Van Zandt's Psycho had made it, Gus Van Zandt's Bezos version of Psycho, you'd want to see it. And as the ultimate fan tribute to Psycho, it's amazing because I love Psycho and that movie loves Psycho as much as I do in the little details. So for me, yeah, as a standalone movie that you went to see in 98 on Friday night and you had no context for it, sure, it's neither here nor there. But as as a movie that treats the text of the movie as if the shots are part of the text, which is what that explains that experiment was mm-hmm. it's hard for me not to love it because it loves psycho so much but that know? i mean van Zandt psycho also like he predicted opened the doors and after that anything gets remade like before that it felt like there was a but not like a, that a really a, yeah not like that but like there was a, a hold on like certain things and all of a sudden we saw more originally well-received movies getting what remade rather than it used to be kind of middling or stuff that didn't age well getting right. updated and then it was just like well, let's do the Texas Chainsaw Massacres. Like, why yeah, are we doing the Texas? I mean, you, you have, beyond like the Universal monsters, obviously. You also hold on beyond, beyond the like the Universal monsters, obviously that are always going to get remade no matter what, mm-hmm. and that's that's a different kind of story. You had Night of the Living Dead in 1990. I mean, you you had ones that were getting in there. I went to HBO. It was really yeah. I mean, in a but I always yeah. felt it off kilter that we said, okay, it's a shot for shot remake, right? Yeah. And then it's there's updated more, than and then that. there's updated footage, and I was like. Mm-hmm. We're going shot for shot here, man. I remember that movie pretty damn well. So yeah, I, but if, I, if you look in the if you if you I mean compared to other remakes, it's the it's the truest version of that kind of take where it's totally like shot for shot, except for a couple of clever little changes. Oh, I, totally shot for shot would be would be so without not playful. You got to do something, but just to just to get. I remember it. when I first heard this. I think a remake of Psycho. What I don't understand. What because before this, you would have heard oh Psycho Five. Well, that makes sense. So they're going to do Psycho Five. Yeah. Suddenly saying this is a new psycho. Yeah, it's like this is a new text chance I'm asking. What do you mean a new one? And that's, I think, where the real violent anti feeling towards that Van Zandt movie comes from is, <clears throat> is if you're saying this should be the replacement. This is now psycho and the old psycho is gone. Right. I don't think anybody's ever saying that. But that, yeah, but that, I think there, there's, a, there's enough people that are, you know, knowledgeable about film that are less about, oh, it's too sacred and more about they just didn't like what happened. Like, that's... 
it's a, once, a reasonable takeaway. Once, once in film history, you do a shot for shot remake, and with any movie in the world, Psycho's the right one to do, and you do it. It's okay to do it once and to bash on it. It's like, come on, have a little imagination. They did it once. It's pretty cool. Like, I also think some of these movies are a product of their time. And and Mm -hmm. what's particularly what we were talking about earlier with Psycho, you know, how keeping people off off kilter and 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 getting going from the big grandiose scheme of North by Northwest and going more intimate and more close and more, you know, isolated with this particular movie, getting in the head of Mary and getting in the head of of uh you know the detectives you know going going after him and so forth it really feels like something that you hadn't seen before um that he was breaking new ground and 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 creating something unique and you know when you see a movie that's no matter what decade it is like you, you can name favorite movies off the top of your head that gave you a totally new brand new experience with a brand new movie and i think to, to me that was why this remake for psycho didn't really make sense because it's like well it, it was like why last house on the left's remake didn't really make sense to me because i was like well it's a total that's a total product of its time I, that doesn't make sense to me at all yeah. and then they kind of changed the ending and made it a happy ending so i was like yeah you can't uh, to grab lightning in a bottle for a certain time. I mean, think of it, not only the time frame, but also the, the marketing and how it was done. I mean, it's a huge part of why Psycho was such a huge hit. You know, uh, Hitchcock right. you know, saying, don't come into the theater, you know, late and stuff, you know, bringing that 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 60s showmanship, which it doesn't really exist that much anymore, but bringing that to the audience and making them feel that they were seeing something that they weren't supposed to see. And, and, they, and it, it, that same trailer touring the bathroom, saying like something, yeah. gonna hap- something a murder happened in here. What right. you know? The, the, the trailer for Phase of Psycho is pretty fantastic because it's just a mm-hmm. oh, tour so <laughs> yeah. of him so walking good. around the home really in the motel. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock, not against spoilers since 1960. Um, <laughs> let's talk more about this movie now. I, I mean, yes. we, we can save the rest of that conversation for our, you know, our Gus Van Sant Psycho commentary track that's you know due in 2027. Uh, but the, the so uh, we're gonna do it. <laughs> it's on the books. <laughs> I made a Google <laughs> event. Uh, uh, by by that movie, when, we, when that's on the end. Do you remember, does anybody remember when they first saw this movie? Because I, I don't remember when I first saw this movie, but I remember a great story my dad had about seeing this movie, which he actually, I think, ended up seeing the re-release in 1965. It was on a double bill with War of the Worlds, which actually there's a poster of that that has both of those on it. And mm-hmm. uh, and said it just freaked him out. He was behind the seat the whole time. So, and, you know, of course, when he told me that story, I was like, oh, I have to see this movie. Well, so, re- Real quick to reference what's on screen. Marion is just driven off with the money, and now she's waking up and seeing no eyes from Cool Hand Luke now as a cop yes. looking at her in the window uh, <laughs> uh just uh, i mean i there's every every shot of this is so wonderful but just like that close-up shot of his face is just like mm-hmm. and just like the fact that he's wearing these aviators that are black and the that's just Small. showing this mm-hmm, just the the figure that's just in present right there and it's like oh yeah it's almost like a specter of death just looming at her as far as like she's done something bad and now everything's just evil and evil and coming at her and gonna do something about it um, as far as when we see that's a good question Jason that's something we do like to go over in these commentary tracks when we first saw this movie um, I know personally uh, my my mom raised me on Hitchcock stuff so I saw this mm. early when I, you know six or seven maybe just on TV one afternoon with her he's like we're gonna watch Psycho now that was really what it came down to and um, I've, I've been a giant fan ever since it's the kind of thing where uh, the appreciation I've had for these films because I was able to see them so early certainly came through, but just this one in particular, because this is, this is my favorite Hitchcock movie, let alone one of my favorite movies in general. Um, 
like high on that. Like I, you know, when I say that, this one ranks fairly high on that, you know, that ever expanding list of favorite movies. Uh, but it 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 hit me as far as well, showers are never the same. Like I, we said this on the Jaws commentary track. Like if there's water, there could be a shark there. It's the same with showers. I don't. I'm not afraid of showers, <laughs> but I am weary of them. <laughs> when the windows fog up, it's like all right. Let me make sure my eyes are open. By the way, the shots inside the car here, I particularly love because again, it, it it's not only personal and uncomfortable, but gives you that same claustrophobic feel that oh, yeah. uh, that Marion Crane feels. So it's it's oh. Well, every every turn she makes, like you get a new angle on everything. It's just so perfect as far as like I closing closing in on her or having the world just be all closed in on her as she's trying to make some kind of escape with doing she doesn't even she's just trying. Um, but no, I saw this movie quite early. Uh, big fan. Uh, we'll talk more about it as we go along. But how about you, Yancey? Was, do you know the first time you saw Psycho? Gosh, I don't remember. I remember when I was very young seeing an ad on local TV that just used the close-up shot of Norman's eye looking through the hole in the wall as the only image, and that sort of creeped me out. I probably saw it with my dad in my teens on Laserdisc, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. Brandon? I saw it when I was a, uh, like early as a kid. I saw it before. I think I saw it before I was like getting into more R-rated horror and stuff. It was like a movie okayed by my parents to watch when I was a really young age. And I, I was um, growing up on like the Alfred Hitchcock Presents reruns and stuff like that. And Psycho was always this movie. I knew the shower scene before seeing the movie, but yet somehow it didn't spoil anything. And I was still surprised because I think my young self imagined that was at the end of the movie. So I was quite surprised where it took place. Um, But I saw it at a very, like a very young age and then watched it like years later, having like, you know, kind of not remembered a lot of it too, because that happens when you're young and was wowed again. Cause I used to love one of my favorite things at Universal Studios was they had the Alfred Hitchcock. We've talked about this Alfred Hitchcock experience um, thing that used to go to and they would recreate the shower scene. They'd show you how they shot it. I remember that. What was that? That's what I yeah. love. Yeah, that's what I love going. Like, that's why <laughs> the theme parks, I used to love that they taught you about movies too, rather than just going on yeah. rides. Universal was always my jam because of that. Mm-hmm. Like, because they had this, the Hitchcock thing, it had like the saboteur mm-hmm. uh, one where you go. Like, oh, yeah, you fall through. It throws you down the Statue of Liberty. Yep. Yeah, the saboteur, they had the birds 3D. Yeah. Thing. Just having, just coming up that, that, my favorite part of that was always the studio tour and coming up that hill to see the actual house. Mm-hmm. Always a thrill. Oh, well, yeah. this goes this goes one step further. The Universal doing their Halloween horror nights. You can, uh, it, you yeah. can actually walk there. Yeah. You could go into and have they got a guy dressed as Norman that can take pictures with you. It's right. such a novelty and it's dumb, but at the same time, it's like you're at the Psycho House. It's really cool. <laughs> it's interesting, but it's interesting because the, the because the Psycho House has gone through so many iterations and so many facades and so many moves and so forth. There was a there was a little quick sort of documentary um, on YouTube called "What Happened to the Psycho House." It's by Cinemassacre. It's really fascinating. Oh, okay. it delves deep into not only where pieces of the original house came from but also is that the original house where did it come from where did it go all that stuff i mean it's 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 all lore so i mean i don't think i don't think it's particularly the original house it obviously has the same similar design but it's interesting so you should watch that one and check it out because it's it's really interesting by the way that that guy isn't isn't the salesman played by james legro in in the remake yeah yeah, yeah, it doesn't look like that doesn't look like that guy but i'm like it's james legro come on it's (laughs) it's 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 the guy from phantasm 2 come on man (laughs) The motel was right there too, so I, I, I'm, I suspect the motel was probably the original. Yeah, 
is really interesting house, stuff. You could see the you could see the motel, the house, and the Gus Van Zandt house for a while, and then right. they put the stupid Whoville in front of both of them. Right, which was the end of my innocence. <laughs> <laughs> the ah! we're talking we're talking about this movie, which is. It's a horror movie. I mean, there's so much like patience in this. Earth. I mean, there's there's the the pacing of this movie in general. Is, is it a horror fantastic. movie? I never think of it as the greatest horror movie, but it should. Be. I mean, it's. I literally call it my favorite horror movie. I right. I, I I put it if in that. It's a horror movie. It's the greatest horror movie. But I feel like it's too much in the thriller category. Well, it's just he sure. keeps it. He keeps it taut until he really rips the good stuff. So he just keeps you right there, and you're like, I don't know where this is going. It's making mm-hmm. me nervous. It, it can like that. It, my thought is it can be both, but the yeah. regardless, uh, what I enjoy about this scene is it's, I mean, without having anything violent or anything of that nature happening, it's so tense because you know, you know, she's in a hurry mm-hmm. and you've, you've, they've, they've, they've skillfully placed the police officer on the other side of the street. And I love that shot of him just like getting out of the car mm-hmm. and just like, all right, let's see where this is going. Like, it's just like such a, it's such a neat like device. Cause you know, he's there. Like we're watching all of this single for talking with the car salesman the whole time, you know, police officers, just sitting right across, like you know, he's right there watching all this take place. And so, on her in her mind, like, like, don't make right. any mistakes. Like, exactly. Don't look doesn't... at him. Don't. And it's part of Hitchcock was afraid of. He had a fear of uh, police officers and authority. Um, like, I guess his father pulled a prank on him one time and put him in jail for a week, uh, a night, or something like that, just to scare him as a kid to not want to do it. And he had this eternal fear of police, and that informs his suspense and how he uses them in his films. So, so this whole sequence is just it, it's it's so exciting without being like one of these like signature sequences when you think of the film psycho yeah. so it, it just works on all levels for that. what i always love when she earlier when she you know has to get her papers out of the car and she moves the the envelope as right not for the police not to see and you're like he's got to totally see that i mean come on Anything nefarious, even the bathroom, it's like it's a closed space. Yes. Well, there's lots of, throughout this movie, there's lots of mirrors. Uh, there's lots of like little things that are just constantly creeping up to to kind of reflect her back at herself or give, give you more of like this mm-hmm. sense of, of atmosphere. This car sales was great too because he's just like yeah. he's a, he's they've cast the perfect like fast talking actor and yet he has like <laughs> all of his tricks are just useless. I like, I like the idea. It's the it's like this is the guy you get to be a car salesman. What's he gonna do? Nothing. He's gonna be pressured to buy the to take, right. the, take the money and leave. There he is. Just, oh. that's great. And his you know Hitchcock's use of 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 the you know when when she's in thought and the voiceover stuff is happening and stuff like that. I mean, you could always see that as a as a as a low budget indie kind of tactic to mm-hmm. as opposed to showing something. But it's so utterly effective to get into the into the mindset of Marion Crane. Right. It's a rule breaking movie right down to the last ten minutes. You're not supposed to be able to end with a long monologue that's featuring none of the characters right it's fascinating to hear about what what was going on there and the actor simon oakland is so good this movie breaks so many rules and it it succeeds every in in every in every in breaking every one of them and one of the biggest rules it breaks and actually as common i think with silence of the lambs which is also based in a roundabout way on the ed gein thing right is is that in 1960 it just wouldn't be a movie that's about a a, a guy who's dressing like his mother. It would be off. It just wouldn't be. 
it wouldn't be you would it wouldn't be in your mind as a moviegoer from among the movies you've seen that wouldn't be a fair way for this movie to go in the same way that in science of the lambs it wouldn't be in anybody's mind that he's making a suit well right it, now. it's so fresh they have to explain it yeah. at the end of the movie yeah. <laughs> and and otherwise it's the weakest form of it it wasn't that, that at least I know one thing. It's not going to be a story about a guy dressing like his mother and stabbing. It's not some crazy. In fact, this seems like it's already the movie it's going to be. And you'd be fine with it if this was an hour and 40 minutes or on the run. Like, I don't know, I know where it would go, but. Yeah, the only I thing I would say about the end scene is just, uh, it's effective in terms of its dialogue and stuff. The man's a little jovial when he's explaining. I would right. I would liken it to maybe the Sam Loomis stuff early on in the original Halloween, right. you know, where where they're explaining, you know, Michael and his psychosis. And to me, that's you know, when I was when I was a kid, I was more scared of the Halloween mask and all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. But then when you get older, it's that psychological stuff that's more disturbing where you're well, like, yeah, oh, Loomis, man. Loomis builds up Michael's scariness. You know, you right. find him scary Loomis because of the stuff you're told. And there's a Loomis in here pulled from that yes. movie. Yeah, he comes from yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. It, it helps. It, 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 Loomis. Yes. Yeah. yeah. In, ter- in terms of the difference as far as him being a little jovial is because they caught him already. Like, it's not, it's not like, right. you know, it's not like Mike, Michael's like, they don't even know what he's going to do yet. Lewis is just like, guys, yeah. you got to get fucking ready. This guy's coming to your town. He has no eyes. He's just evil. He the was a kid. Dies. He was a kid and I wanted to shoot him in the face. Now he's an adult. Right, I want to shoot him twice. What are you talking? <laughs> um, you mentioned, you, Ed Ga- you, you mentioned on? the magic word, Ed Gain. So we also, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the magic word, which of course inspired Robert Block when he wrote his novel. Yeah. This is um, our second Brandon, our second commentary involving an Ed Gain uh, based. Right. Novel. It was Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We just so need to do means. Silence of the Lambs. You do Silence of the Lambs. We can that trifecta. And then, and then for, and then for bonus game. points, do House of the Thousand Corpses. Robert's Blossom from the seventies. You've seen that, Brandon. I guarantee. You. Which one? Deranged. 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 I might. So Bob, I, Bob Clark produced it, I think. Okay. And it, and it was it's Robert's Blossom, and it's the most. It's the most close to a, a, a movie. It's from like 72, 73. It was one of those MGM Midnight movie double feature discs. Mm-hmm. Okay. It looks familiar. I'm not sure if I have seen it though. By the way, since the rain's coming down here, I would say that I mean, again, look at the genius of just doing something small. It's never it doesn't have to be grandiose. Making you know night come down and 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 closes in on her face even more. Making the rain come down and giving us you know a a, a, a foggy feeling, you know, and and the music just really swelling, and all of a sudden just seeing mm-hmm. this this small bit of light in the in the in the distance. It's it, all it's all effective, really small stuff that you could do on a no budget. It's friggin' awesome. And what a great. In terms of home video, sorry, they they had to controversial. They had to recreate this for audio because the audio from the original is so damaged it couldn't be uh, reformatted. So there's a lot of people get pissed at this on home video with the 5.1, 7.1 now Atmos, yeah, because they had to recreate the rain and stuff. It was just too damaged. I like how much of a misdirect it is, Jason, by you saying that your light illuminates in the corner and it's like oh sanctuary and it's just yes, it's exactly mm. the opposite of this. Yeah, uh, and it, and the. This mm-hmm. is totally not. Remember, she's driving past on, on the motel where the two sides of the motel meet each other. I was on the Universal tour once, and down the sort of down the sort of hallway where the two sides of the of the motel meet was the standee of Pierce Brosnan from Dante's Peak running. <laughs> I always thought it was funny. Yeah, the Universal employees do those funny little things like that. It was you can just talk about the silhouette. Hey, it's Dante's Peak. <laughs> You're like, what's Pierce Brosnan doing here? <laughs> <laughs> 
That's great. Now t- that, talking about that, talking real, about real, real quick that ominous oh, yeah. shot of just the mother in the window. Yeah. Even when, especially with the context, you're like, oh, so they're just hanging out <laughs> before she got <laughs> there. They're just night, no one shows up. I'm they're just having a nice Friday night, and then like Marion Crane gets there and it's like, oh, we gotta. That mother, I'll be there in a second. I mean, there's there's no there's no world where this house isn't just instantly scary. I mean, it's not like it doesn't become yeah. scary. You just look and you're like, ah, it's no good. Amazing yeah, production I, design. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, you know, you know, seeing Perkins, I would say, you know, that that again, Kosh, talking about your guys and and the genius of casting. Um, you know, in the in the book, in the Robert Block book, you know, Norman was middle aged. He was overweight. Yeah. Um, and he was kind of unstable. So it, yeah, I think what it did is it kind of foreshadowed what was going to happen. And mm-hmm. in casting Anthony Perkins and having his performance be so nuanced and so careful and layered, um, it really, it just adds, it adds Which, so much. It, it, it changes the whole perspective. Like this, the nice little boy next door, he could be this ruthless deranged. Like it really changes things in film for characters like that. They can now, that's now a person that could be devious it's not obvious i mean you've played around with that a little bit with things like the bad seed or even other hitchcock movies as far mm-hmm. as clever casting choices but yeah you're not wrong as far i mean this movie's you can almost be had, if you didn't know she had a, a love interest already he could almost be your new love interest this yeah i mean this yeah. movie this movie has a much you know larger impact because of the choice you're not wrong there and i mean the and the performance is so iconic as well like to, uh, the i mean it's great janet lee got nominated for an oscar but anthony perkins is so oh, good at this oh, movie. Yeah. so it's good so, it's so many great choices and you talk about like the, the choice they made jason as far as how they changed it up and there's also just a lot of improvisational like aspects to to both of these characters too like they're sure. they're allowed to really kind of not go off the leash, but it certainly kind of add little effects to their characters as they're having all these interactions and things, which I think, I mean, obviously adds to it. Yeah. I remember reading about the, um, about the candy corn and stuff like that. Like, you know, the bird thing and just, yeah, that's, that, that's a, that's, that's an actor really getting into the role and focusing on those little details that just make it so much more rich, so much more rich. Over there with the bathroom, sort of points to the bathroom, right? There's the, uh, over there <laughs> foreshadowing that something bad is going to happen. And well, and also just like his own, his own, his own uncomfortableness. Cause he's like, there's a woman here. I have yeah. an attraction to her. He's going to the shower. The shower alludes to things that she'd be doing that I can see because I have this secret hole. Like there's all these little things. Plus he mentioned the bird thing. Now you got birds in all the rooms here and another, <laughs> another mirror in the background, by the way. Um, but the, but the, 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 but the choice he makes to act like a bird, the way he moves, mm. his, he, oh, cr- yeah. he, the way he Marion cranes his neck over, it's just so <laughs> wonderful. That's like there's a, my my favorite shot in this movie, and there's so many great ones. Is that one is one coming up with um when Arbogast gets there and he looks into the um the uh, the oh, hotel like side. Yes. Yes. Oh yeah. The, the angle camera falls. Uh, yeah. The angle it gives you where he's like just turns his like whole head chewing that stuff, and they did yeah. it again with Gus Van Zandt, and you have to. That shot is part of that scene, you know. Yeah, he's like under it. Yeah, do you think they under came up with that, that shot that day, or you think Hitchcock was like Perkins? You're doing this. Like it feels almost like, ooh, we should try I, this. I have to think at that point he's probably been doing this performance, and they're yeah. like, okay, I have an idea. Like that's right. like that's just where it comes from. That's a striking, and a lot of shots in this are as striking and cutting edge as anything that was going on in independent or, uh, European cinema at this point in the Bergman or whatever movie. Some mm-hmm. of these shots are just well, straight I up. Mean, off. It, isn't it funny? It's funny that the most grandiose shot, quite frankly, is the house. Like seeing the yeah. scope and the size of that house. That's really the only shot in the movie that's so super grandiose like that. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, because it looms over so much. Right. Everything else is tight. 
and even when it's daytime, it feels dark. Like yeah, it's like right. there's, there's it's like we're in California. There's generally sunny skies. It still feels like there's a cloud over it all the yeah. time. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean the, the exterior daylight does not help. <laughs> yeah, the, the exterior of the motel itself doesn't feel huge itself. You know, right. there's some long, lengthy looking walkway, but it doesn't feel grand. It doesn't feel like oh, right. it's big complex. We're talking about Perkins now. We're like forgetting about Lee. Lee is so good in this movie. Also, mm-hmm. like every like little thing she has to do to con to focus this level of concentration as far as what I'm going to do, the guilt that I'm already feeling about this, the fact that there are people that are looking for me, that I got spotted by my boss driving, the money's missing now. Smiles, though, when she smiles on that drive, you know that she's so... Yeah, there's a, there's a mischievousness there. And that's why, I was, that's why I was curious how big her star persona was at this point, because it's like, do people think of her a certain way? I mean, Manchurian Candidate's after this, right? I mean, this yeah. takes her to another level. I mean... <laughs> but I mean, at this point, you go to see a movie and she's in it. You're expecting her to be throughout the whole movie. She's the lead. And even after these movies, I mean, Hitchcock's female characters get. They evolve a bit, don't they? Like in, in um, the birds, which is right after this. Mm-hmm. She's a prankster, basically. Like she's 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 going out of her way to like find this guy, drive mm-hmm. all the way to the little tall small town and everything. It's very romantic comedy. Like it, it, yeah, it's, it's screwball just to yeah. set you up for. You know, ambiguous terror. Yeah. <laughs> then Marnie's just all kinds of messed up. Marnie, right? Marnie's great. <laughs> I, I, quite, I was trying to think. Is there any been anybody from between here and Scream that successfully pulled off this bigger casting and knocking them off early without knowing it or feeling it? That's a good question. Because I and then there's other movies like Nightmare on Elm Street. Amanda Wiss appears to be the lead in that movie, but she's not. It's Amanda um, Wiss. She hadn't even done Better Off Dead yet, I don't think. So that's a good question. As far as, yeah, executive decision. Yeah. Oh it's yeah. A hard, well, it's a hard one too because it's not just about. I mean, think about think about when this movie, how this movie was made. Mm-hmm. It was made on a smaller scale, so he was allowed to do that. But now, if you have a star, they're like, "Well, you can't kill off the star." Or it they just get remind- this big sequence. Yeah. That you know they're going to get bumped off. Like you went to yeah. Scream Two, you knew Jada and right uh, Omar Epps are going uh, right. and. But Scream 1, Drew Barrymore was cleverly weaved in through the advertisements on the right. poster. And then you see it and you're like, oh. And then you're watching you're like, they're not going to really. Oh, they really did. So it's kind of the, the next best version of this. But I can't think of anyone where they're like. I'm actually surprised that there's not movie. a more notable one that comes along for another 30 years. The, That's the, the, I mean, the, and then yeah. after that, you get Samuel L. Jackson and Deep Blue Sea. Yeah, there's others after that that are like surprised us because mm-hmm. they know what they're. But I mean, yeah, right. The fact that it took that long to do you something know, from dust till dawn is, is the most uh, the most extreme I can think of of this word. And that's just a that's a genre twist. Yeah, that is a genre twist. Explicitly, as one movie that's going in one direction and gets pulled off that by a totally unrelated Mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. Well, again, it reminds me of the story that William Friedkin had when he made To Live and Die in L.A. and he killed off his lead character, William William (laughs) Peterson's character. And the studio was like, "You can't kill off your lead character. You insane?" And he was like, "Yeah, you. That's the story." So, so I think I think there probably is a lot of blowback on something like that. Um, Right. Yeah. But you get just Janet Lee for the first forty-five minutes, so yeah, a gift, you know. And you get her in the shower. Yeah, they got they got their bang for their buck, I guess, as yeah, far yeah, as yeah. the amount of time they have a very famous actress in the movie. Sure, still, I mean it is just her till here. <laughs> you know, still being a movie where it's like 
Shelly Winters or Betty Davis is up in the house and that's her crazy mother. And, mm-hmm. and he really is just a sensitive guy who's getting wrapped up in her sordid story and the mother's going to kill him. But it could still be that and be a surprising movie, but it's not even that, you know, it yeah. far right. in stranger territory than even that, you know, you're like the whole movie. You're like, who is, who is this mother going to be when we see her? You know, that's the, that's the thing. And it, for and then you, and then it's one step and then another. And you're like, Whoa, what? just happened here and then they bring in an expert to tell you what just happened here by the way because i didn't mention it uh pat Hitch- pat hitchcock is the woman is a woman gets strangled and in- strange on the train oh. yeah. i like how cozy this setting is like it's both ominous and cozy because it's like mm-hmm. all this is you know it, it's a very lived in place but you also have you know all these stuffed it'd be, it'd be more calm it'd be more common and comfortable back then and now you'd be like this is some creepy old person well, they, but also i think i think perkins way. makes it comfortable though like look how yeah. comfortable he is in that room and he doesn't seem weird at all so at, he, i mean there's nuanced moments but most of the time he's very he's very relaxed he's very normal you know it's like well, he it's makes that room normal. Time, first time you see it it's unassuming and yeah. now you see it and you're like ooh, ooh. Yeah. You, you're now looking <laughs> But you would shoot it differently. Clues. That's that's the point. You mm-hmm. you'd shoot it at harsher angles to really emphasize. That's my issue with a lot of the remakes that come out when they. I mean, I, I get it. Like on the one hand, yes, you're making a remake of a classic thing, so it's obviously going to turn evil. So you're not going to be surprised by that as much. But at the same time, something like Poltergeist, where you have the clown and it looks so obviously evil, it's like, well, like there's no there's no scare there. It takes it right. away. You no, know, Michael that, Myers to, with an angry look on his face. And not not to not to go back down this well too far, but that's kind of my issue with the Gus Van Sant thing. I think Vince Vaughn goes so far in like being obvious with his kind of general menace that yeah. this doesn't it doesn't work for me. But I not only he, that, think, there was there was a visual. Good, oh, oh, sorry, I was gonna say there was a visual moment. Right. There's some inserts. Wow. We lost our Jason. We lost our Jason. I was gonna say though, I think Vince Vaughn was a good casting choice. For Norman Bates, it was a nice off, but fitting. Uh, the execution, yeah. Joaquin Phoenix, who they originally had, would have been. I think Joaquin time. Phoenix would have nailed. It. That, I don't think yeah. Vince Vaughn's incapable of doing it. I just think the choices he made or he was directed to do right. didn't ultimately suit the film. For like me. I said, good choice. What you got from it? Yeah. Jason, we lost you for a second. You were saying oh, something. No, no, no. I was just saying there was a, there was also a visual motif. Um, that they showed as well, uh, you know, in the Gus Van Zandt version, and I always felt like, no, 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 you know, we don't need to see that. We well, want to see the that audio in- too. They, they yeah, added, they added we want to see that in the performance though. Perkins didn't need that extra added thing; he layered it in. I want right. to see that. Yeah, that that's the one thing that really turned me against that Psycho remake when I first saw it was the scene where he's looking through the eye hole, and I was like, yeah. did we? No, we didn't even need this in the first one. Like, yeah. and it and it turned me off for like the rest of the movie when I saw it the first time. I've only seen that one maybe twice or three times, but that that moment really set me off. Plus, I was like 15 or 16 at the time, and I was like, nah, I don't want that. Look now how just, look, by the way, look how just the, the change of an angle on yeah. him makes mm-hmm. makes a slight difference you know what i mean that's such a hitchcock thing and it's not and we're not it's not overt going hey look at this it's just going well, just a slight and, bit of difference and in the corner like you that. have the oh. owl oh. getting its wings out ready to strike oh yeah you have, so a, bird of, preparing, you have a bird yeah. of prey right there right, right? yeah and, and, and the woman still, under it in the picture if you look and it's still i mean the the angle is slightly more balanced with marion still mm-hmm. right and, and the nude woman right under it and striking then yeah and there's a man striking a woman in the other foot it like it's 
Yeah, it's all very it's telegraphed right there. <laughs> it's all telegraphed. Look at that. See, <laughs> it's too obvious, guys. It's canceled. <laughs> <laughs> Looks clear as hell on my 4K UHD version of it. Nice. I do like like she's had an eventful day. <laughs> like here's this guy and he's having this conversation and at the end of this whole thing she's like I mean I guess I'll take it back it could be worse look at Norman Bates mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. and that is like it is a choice like they do the arc of this story actually does wrap up in this like 50 minute mini movie because you, right. you have her go through this whole thing of like I'm going to do this here's the steps I'm taking you know what? Maybe it's not a bad idea. I'm gonna go take this back. The like that's the story. That's the arc. Right. And, then we right. just, and there's just no there's no epilogue beyond. And then she gets buried in the bottom of the water. But that makes it so genius because then people feel like they didn't just follow a story and it just got cut out of out from underneath them completely. You did have a bit of a conclusion there. You knew what she was going to do. You knew what her decision was. She just couldn't end up doing it. Which just makes it you know it's a tragedy at that point. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And then Hitchcock's like so devious. He's like, not only is this a tragedy, not only are you going to be ro- rolling in with tears because they just we just killed off Janet Lee in our big movie here. We're going to let you stick with this guy uh, who you don't know did it. We're like, why are we with him now? Like, what's the deal here? <laughs> and what's going on in that house? Some woman probably just killed this other woman. <laughs> well, magically, by the time he's watching her car sink and it's not sinking into the swamp, he's transferred our... I wouldn't say our affections, but suddenly we want him to get away with it. Mm. That's yeah. the, that's the, and we'll get there, but that's so good. That's like when you watch heist movies and even though, you know, like oh, yeah. they're bad guys, you're like, so but I want him to get the money. Side, <laughs> She robbed, she rushed all this money. We're already on her side. And then in 20 minutes, we're going to be on this guy's side. And just because he's trying to clean up a mess. It's pure hit, pure Hitchcock manipulation of the audience, man. It's awesome. Yeah. Oh yeah. Playing the audience like a fiddle. And this is now how, the, this isn't Anthony Perkins' first movie, is it? It's his first leading role, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah. not his yeah. first movie, but yeah, it's his yeah. first movie. He had no cachet with him. No one thought he always plays a good guy, always plays a bad guy, right? He was just a sort of young... I mean, back back, back then, if it's your first role, you're going to be the the car salesman. I mean, yeah. you had to you had to kind of earn your, up your seniority unless they thought you were just attractive, and then they, they tried to give you acting lessons and force you into films. But a lot of right. the times you started your first deal as a couple line characters tied to a studio you were you had to you had to do only movies at that studio that's like the craziest well, nobody he was, already, hold on. he was already nominated for an academy award by this time for his second movie friendly oh. persuasion mm-hmm. oh, friendly persuasion yeah all so right. he's an oscar nominee at this point mm-hmm. all right so he was sort of known then he was known and i mean he's the he is the lead actor he's the first build character in this movie so. i was wondering if you come in and see this movie do you have any preconceived notions about who anthony perkins plays i think you do as far as the general image he has where he's this you know right Gaunt sweet kind nice of guy, yeah nice guy yeah yeah he died early died at 60 he had uh didn't he have, didn't he have aids, AIDS yeah. yeah after he really like he, he didn't like go away after psycho but like because he he, he kind of he started embracing that side of himself in the eighties. Uh, yeah, I'm saying like, but it's, so that but that's twenty years right. because right. I don't I don't think he had like a, the you know the, the largest of filmographies at that. But no. No. I remember Crimes of Passion in there sometime in the eighties. Right. The, the Ken Russell film yeah, the and uh, strikes out Pretty Poison was a great movie. Uh, he's he did. He, 22, he's in Catch Twenty Two. Mm-hmm. He did write a movie in the seventies that like called The Last of Sheila. Last of Sheila with Stephen Sondheim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
but yeah, then, you know, then Hitchcock dies and they're like, Universal's like, guys, guess what we're going to do? <laughs> like, we got the old man out of the way. Now we're, now we're going to start remaking those sequels, getting that, getting that cash to one of our classic movies. And to its credit, to its credit, uh, Psycho 2, it's quite good. Yeah, it shouldn't <laughs> have been. It shouldn't. And like, that was, again, and again, that's your Blade Runner 20, <laughs> 2049. Yeah. Of, of the, yeah. Yeah. But a big part of that is the script. Is Tom Holland's? Oh yeah, Tom, Tom Holland's script. great. Yeah, I and Dean Cundy. That. Dean Cundy shot it. Oh yeah, you had all the right people. Like they, like they didn't. Very talented Hitchcock student. Yeah, it's a great. They, did, they didn't cash in. They didn't just like you know flop one out there and be like, look, we made a sequel to Psycho. They're like, let's get some good talent involved. They got Perkins back for one thing. Yeah, Robert Loja in a compassionate and, role and like, early early Dennis Fran, Franz in yes, a non compassionate role. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Now, I, now I've I've still yet to see Psycho three. That might change this weekend because I might oh, finally. Yeah. Perkins directs that one. It's not. Right. It, it's it's more typical slasher, but yes. he's got he's got, he's got some, moments. He's, he's got, got moments. some moments where you could tell yes. he's paying attention to Hitchcock. Like he and really, part four. I know a lot of people bang on part four, but remember Joseph uh, Stefano, who wrote the original, who did the screenplay for the original Psycho. Mm-hmm. He wrote that one, so we do get a lot of details. I think that he mulled around in his mm-hmm. head in that one that I particularly like. I mean, it may not be the most amazing movie, but I do like hearing the background and the, uh, um, the backstory of the, of the character. It's an idea movie. Like there's a good idea there. I'm not sold on the execution, but it employs Olivia Hussey. And I I like her. What's it, what's his name in there? Lawnmower man. Um, Jeff Fahey. He's 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 in part three. Yeah. He is. Yeah. 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 He has like a scene where like Norman kills like a football, a high school football team. It's definitely slasher. They yeah, probably deserved. To be fair, they, they probably deserved it though. They probably didn't yeah. like clean up, oh, clean up the hotel or anything. Yeah, there's like a homecoming party during that movie. Yeah, you know? I was okay. like, that's like, oh, come on. Uh, no spoilers. <laughs> I got, I'm gonna watch this movie. <laughs> I got to see the high yeah, school football team. And then there was a, then there was a TV movie in between three and four, oh, right? Motel. The Bates Motel. Like, horrible. Yeah, yeah. The horrible. horrible. And, no, and Anthony Perkins reprises his role from a jar. So it's like, like <laughs> yeah, not good. Well, then there's also the Bates Motel series from a few years ago now that had um what um Vera Farmiga uh, and uh, Freddie Highmore, yeah, the good the good yeah. doctor himself, and uh, uh, oh, Cat Shea is uh, acts in uh, Psycho Three as well, the director. Um, recently she did Rage Carry Two, uh, Poison Ivy, and then recently she did uh, Nancy Drew and the Hidden Staircase. But wait, she did Rage Carry Two? Because mm-hmm. I saw like a triple feature of her stuff at the. New Beverly, the first Poison Ivy, and then movie Streets with Christina Applegate, both yeah. pretty good. I didn't realize she did Carrie too, which I did not think was good. Getting back to it, I didn't. I never watched the. the I, I think Brandon, you and I both watched like the first episode or two of Bates Motel. We're like, no, and yeah, and then apparently it got it, really popular. Like yeah, yeah. Formiga is really good in it, but it, I'm know. sure she is. It's just like the tone of that show is just not doing anything for me. There's yeah. the first toilet flushing, by the way. I'm, I'm in. Nice. The, <laughs> there's certain things that for me less is more. Um, that happen sometimes. Like I get many people probably the you know flushing out of stuff works for them. They like it. They enjoy it. But to me, like I don't know. I, I this is enough you know for so me. you're saying you're not doing a full episode on ratchet for the brandon peter show no. <laughs> just, 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 yeah i have a motel on my list of maybe checking out again going a little further but i i like i watched like the first three episodes or so of it and i was like i'm not sure this is 
what I'm the first for me. Kind okay, of so let's talk that. about this now. This this shower. Okay. Scene. <laughs> By the way, the, the shower head getting that shot in the shower head with the with the shower and the, mm-hmm. and the water coming. Amazing shot. Right. Yeah. Would I don't we, know how he. I don't even. I still don't know how he got to, that yeah. thing. Yeah. We, no idea. Would we argue this is the most famous scene in all of cinema? Absolutely. And I'm the one be- and the one shot, which is the shot that everybody swears where the knife goes in. It I doesn't. love that. The, yeah, I love that they shot that backwards. So they went out from the thing and then played it forward, which is a total. I mean, everybody's done that from Carpenter to Chris, with Christine. I mean, everybody's done that. It's so awesome. And the face of the, the, the mur- it's not Anthony Perkins, right? But whoever it is, is mm-hmm. face black, right? So you can't quite. Is there yeah, really it's, a better it's, it's, for this? You can see a little better that black the face. But you can't make it out quite. You see the creepy white eyes and like a black mm-hmm. face. But. Now in the in the rubber block book, um, she was beheaded in the shower scene, um, which of course, I mean, he wasn't going to go that far. It was far enough oh. with what they got. And it just, that's not real. <laughs> you right, can't just, right. You can't just knife someone in the shower, get their head to come off. Like the right. neck is very strong. Like, yeah. I, I, I don't care how many times I, you see Mrs. Voorhees dies. Your head just doesn't. Right. 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 <laughs> and you need a knuckles, couple yeah. hacks in there, right? <laughs> yeah, but she's. I mean, he's not using a guillotine in the shower. Right. <laughs> right. Using, the, of course, cassava melon for stabbing sounds here. This is a great time to put. Uh, I've mentioned this before, and I always feel embarrassed. I don't know the name, but. The, do- the documentary that was made a few years ago about this scene. Oh, yeah. 7852. 7852. That does a great job to me of positing that this scene is the beginning of modern movies. But, yeah, yeah. Cutting and yeah. First Although I, did, I was a little disappointed because I did see it at Sundance and, and I was expecting what I had heard was here's a doc that just dives into the shower scene for an hour and a half. Like not the history, not what was going on at the time, but just dives directly into that scene. And I was like, oh, I want to see that. I want to see each cut dissected and, and, <laughs> and, 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 and painstakingly detailed. And I was like, no, it's just kind of a it, it was good. But it was like it, it did go over what was going on at the time and the, and the, the, the culture and all that stuff. I wanted to pure dissection of that scene for an hour and a half you don't leave the bathroom for an hour and a half but yeah to your point there where were they arguing oh they were just arguing that it was a, that, 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 that it's the beginning of modern cinema because it's the first time where you conceivably want to run out of the movie theater like there's nothing in movies before this that's like an intense minute of horror terror mm-hmm. where you feel like you're trapped. You, you, you're somewhat trapped for this. Any, any scary or frightening scene before this is nowhere near as startling as that shower scene. And ever since then, of course, the, 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 you know, Pandora's box or whatever you want to say is open and, and you can't go back, but Burn. the movie makes it convincing that doc, at least to me, made a convincing argument that this really was the nexus of when movies became uh, modern. It's a good That's, argument for sure. And as far as, far yeah. as talking about like most iconic scenes, I mean, on a short list that's for damn sure <laughs> like it's you, you can readily identify kind of this it's kind of a big joke almost that if you were to ask me almost on a lie detector what's the single most brilliantly made movie you've ever seen i might say psycho and it, it's such a yeah sort of, not sleazy but like a, a pulpy low down horror tale it's funny you yeah. keep saying the word horror. Did anybody, but anyway, did, uh, looking again, I, it was it didn't really occur to me how uh, that, that it might have some some meaning there. But there's a, the shot where he comes in and he you know covers his own mouth and stuff, and then there you see this picture of a single bird kind of hit the ground, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. The yeah. the symbolism of that. I mean, it was just subtle, but I, I will say we all talk about the shower scene, rightfully so. But what follows it is just as intriguing and well done filmmaking wise, and the performance by Perkins is oh, dynamite. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, because there's a lot. It's you know, it's, it's all him now. Like there's no, there's not, there's no one here. And there's like, suspense exactly. of you watching him, hoping he cleans it up well. Like and and then there's the money, and you're like, oh, is he? Uh, no, okay. And well, just, well yeah, we'll, we'll get there to that that last bit when he just blended them in the cars. He puts you, he puts you in the killer, and you're like, oh, pick up that Norman. Don't miss that you spot, Norman. Him, you think he's a poor guy whose mother killed this woman, right? And, but even now, I still want him to. You're get also it. sitting there in the audience thinking, "There's a there's an old woman that just murdered this person sitting in their house. <laughs> like, right. What's happening?" Isn't it interesting um, how those, how those points things? of view switch? Like right. before, you were from Marion's point of view, and you've just now switched to Norman's point of view. Right. And it's such a like watching him be so That's careful, watching him watching him be so careful around the body, wanting mm-hmm. to be like respectful and however he feels it. This is after he's already spied on her and is you know directly involved in something, even though he doesn't realize that in his own head. Like there's just so many little details here about how he goes about trying to clean up the scene. It's, I'm trying to think of another movie where you kill off the main character and suddenly you're with this character. We just met for 10 minutes do silently, basically cleaning up a mess. You shouldn't, it shouldn't, it shouldn't, it shouldn't work. You shouldn't hold your attention. You should drift thinking, well, what happened? What was all that movie I was watching? What's going on now? You know? Yeah, you know, I'm trying, I'm trying to think of like other examples of something that does that and that that's that successfully. But he did just- a little bit of that in frenzy. Uh, yes, yeah. yeah. The the you know with the necktie murder thing where the thing is hanging out of the thing and mm-hmm. a little bit of that, just a tiny bit. I love frenzy. I mean, <laughs> such a... like movies. I can I, I, you pointed out Scream, and that's such a g- mm-hmm. good example as far as like the the early kill thing. But as far as like entire shift of perspective, like I can think of more modern movies, like what like the Place Beyond the Pines gives you three different characters right. that you're following. Right. But I'm trying to think of like something. <laughs> but that's a movie you kind of know going in. I actually didn't know. I didn't know what it was when I went in. I was yeah. just like, okay, Ryan Gosling and, and uh, Cooper. And like, but has I mean, it has the here? potential to be that when you know the the actors going in, and I it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't feel like off. Sure, you know, I I thought it was clever when it was doing. It's like, oh, okay, that's what we're doing here. I mean, but, this feels so normal now because we've seen this movie a billion times. It's sixty yeah. years old, and it's like, oh yeah, this is where Norman does this. But and I gave you an example right. from the 2010s, so that's why I'm curious. Like, where yeah. where are the other examples? Where are the movies that tried to pull this off just as well? Because you're so, you know, we've talked about this so often, especially when it comes to horror films. There are such, you know gateways and inspirations for other filmmakers to be like oh yeah let's do this too mm-hmm. let's let's also go for that let's make a slasher movie now let's make our own slasher movie like you know all that kind of stuff taking it back by the way paying homage to that that last iconic scene where we go from her eye and everything a real uh, it, uh, again 26 uh, takes of that shot and the one they had did have her breathing at the end so they had to cut it short but that to really to 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 take that level of detail with just one shot because it was just so clearly important um oh best shot ever it is it is a great shot um a story that i like uh, tangentially connected to is about blood simple when Ooh. um oh yeah when when dan hedea is murdered and the the idea that the cohen's explained for that is well we like psycho and we like how it's so clean when norman's cleaning everything up and how easy it is so we thought well what if it was just a mess it was impossible for him to clean this all the blood gets <laughs> everywhere every time he swipes something up it just gets even more spread out like that was their goal in blood simple when he's cleaning up the damn idea i always thought that was so funny to me <laughs> like like i love blood simple it's i mean we've talked about this before as far as like best debut films that's like that that hits on that list for me as mm-hmm. far as just incredibly yeah. confident debut features but like 
the the amount of stress you get that actually is a kind of a film where you're following a lot of different characters come to think of it uh you're, you're getting a lot of perspectives of that one it's not entirely the same as this but as far as that that display goes of like let's go the opposite way where it's this like dirty bar that Dan Hedaya runs and Dan Hedaya himself is already this, you know, Harry slime ball in this movie. And it's like, now he's dead. And then now what? Okay. His blood's all over the place. And it's just, he's and what's it gets John gets, he's just trying yep, to, yep. he's trying to just get it all out there and it's impossible. And even when he finally does get the body out there, he's still alive. Like It's just yes. it's ridiculous. <laughs> God, Blood Simple's great. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, I always, when I'm going to pick, I'm like, mm, maybe because that Criterion Blu-ray is phenomenal. Oh, it's a wonderful Criterion. And I'm like, because it's got really good neon, like colors on that. Oh, man. The contract. Oh, yeah. I always feel like, oh, I want to pop in that Blood Simple again. It's great, that movie. Here's the suspense now where you're like, okay, he's got the body out of there. What's next? He's going to take the stuff. He's, the, he's money's gonna find the, money. the money's in that The money's going to fall out. <laughs> the money's going to fall out. He's going to find the money. What a great MacGuffin that is. Oh, like yeah. you're talking about Hitchcock MacGuffins. Here's a bunch of cash that that nothing. It's nothing. It's nothing at all. <laughs> yep. Nope. It's like it it's it's perfect and it's also the like perfect like educational example of the MacGuffin too, without being super obvious or or paint by numbers, but everybody can understand the money more than they Bird. can a lot of the other ones. Bird. And what, what Yancey said about how like how long it takes this scene where most people would go, oh, you know, uh, in a scene like this is completely boring. But it just it holds you the whole time, man, it for different for, for variant reasons, for the murder, for the money, for the, you know, it humanizes Norman a bit because you're like you're seeing an actual process of his thoughts and you're with him here. Just like, OK, yeah, you pick that. You pick. Yeah. And but you're like, why am I? He's covering up a murder. Why am I? Have any, and how he and how he's not how he's not you know he's not foreshadowing anything he's not right. cool under pressure no he's yeah. not he's not he's not uh, he's worried he's sweaty he's nervous it's yeah there's a, there there's a lot of non action in this movie which is pretty incredible because you're so tense through it as far as the things happening even like that right there not even no not even a cutaway to the car just a light like you what? just you just you get the moments you get these little things and it kind of keeps your mind off of what's in the house. It's in the house up there. What's it look like inside? You know, there's this there's this big mystery. We're scared of it, but we're so into it right now that we're keeping our mind off of like, what's it look like inside? That's that's another part of why this just feels this like I'm not. It's not hard for me to classify this as horror in my mind. I right. mean, there's a haunted house in this movie. But while, while this is this is horror. This is, thing, it's rarely, I rarely think of this as number one on that list for some reason. It's almost like it's not fair to put it on the horror list. I mean, this is this is so transcendent, like that. Any anyway, if you don't like horror, you could love Psycho. Like yeah. it's that good. It's just good filmmaking, great acting, just an enjoyable movie to see. It's not. I mean, back in the day when it first came out, and these were new things to see on the screen, like the stabbing, the the quick cuts, the intensity, then. Then I might have given you the excuse that oh I, oh I can't do those horror movies it's too dirty or whatever but now anybody should pick up Psycho and be able to just fall for it immediately no matter the age no matter nothing it's just great filmmaking storytelling acting it's effective even to this day it's outstanding how that happened well that's so the last time I watched this movie I was at an outdoor screening of it back when we can mm -hmm. go outdoors and watch movies together um and you know the before times and I was I was with my lovely girlfriend and, and she had a, a friend of hers from from work was there and with her family because it's psycho it's not incredibly violent and we're all outside so you don't have to mm -hmm. necessarily watch it but these scenes are the ones and you know, like later on where they're just caught up in the action, regardless of how scary it is. I mean, the movie, I think, get, I mean, there is a big jump scare later in this movie, which right. we'll talk about. But like, 
it has its share of like horrific elements and things that will like get your pulse pounding. But stuff like this is just you're into it. You're into the stuff regardless. Like it just, it all works that way. I mean, this is great right here. This yeah. little pause where he's like, somebody cuts back and forth, back and forth. Then it stops. And he's <laughs> while, like, wait a minute. Okay, while chewing candy corn. Just like that. Just the, the little ticks he's doing in his face. He's like, wait, hold on. Huh? Huh? Oh, oh no. Is, is it on top of another car? And then he stops. Oh. And he looks around. It's like, wait, is somebody? Okay, what's going on? What's yeah. happening? The funny Hold thing on. is he ends Am up. Am I going to have to get in and jump on the car? Okay, here we go. Good. It's all fine now. <laughs> he ends up doing with this with the, the detective's car, too, which yep. we don't see, but He's... we hear about. It's kind of an interesting thing. I mean, there's probably like four cars in that, in that lake by now. Yeah, and then uh, Raising Kane does this. They He does a mm. little motif on this as well. Ryan De Palma likes Hitchcock? It's the one time he did it. I would argue that there's no better if you if you're interested at all in the idea of what a director does and what what a filmmaker why we care about filmmakers. There's no more pleasurable way to learn about that than Hitchcock. I think it's so obvious. You watch a couple Hitchcocks, you understand what a directorial personality is, Mm -hmm. and you can see him just movie to movie. Oh yeah, it's it 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 delineates what we mean when we think of a great filmmaker. I think well. William Friedkin has has stated that you don't need film school. Just watch the filmography of Alfred Hitchcock and then you'll be set to make a movie. That's why I think like Spielberg's selfish sometimes where he's like, I don't want to have special features on my movies. Everyone should just see the magic. It's like, I mean, Steven, you you got a lot of tricks up your sleeve. Like it'd be nice to see some of them every now and then, you know, while while you're with us, leave it. There's so many directors we didn't get commentaries from. We didn't get, it's hard to find interviews. It's hard to get like the insight that they want to reveal later on. And I, it leaves some mystery, but then also it's like, they would have possibly liked to have done that while alive. And he's just his he really. Well, meanwhile, like Marty's cool with it. Marty's like, yeah, well, let me Woody hear. Allen's come in, come in. Well, I'm gonna show everybody. <laughs> let me show Woody you. Woody Allen gets uneasy <laughs> about a trailer being included. Woody Allen, I think, couldn't imagine anyone listening to it. Spielberg, I think, is superstitious about it. For some yeah. Reason. Well, yeah, I, I just don't think it's as interesting with that. I mean, I, what's it gonna? I mean, him doing his, you know, in Allen voice talking about his dialogue construction or whatever. It's like, I guess that's fine. Well, but like, not, so, not so much the commentary, but like a retrospective documentary on his films. With Fair enough. Here we go. Here, here, here's the hero of the film right here. Marty Balsam oh, yeah. walking in. Oh, yeah. Over <laughs> done two and a half hours. The, you know, the Jaws and those documentaries might as well be commentaries. Right. Yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah I know. I, I, I'm giving him a little shit, but I mean, it's fine. <laughs> it's still- yeah, no, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. And Spielberg is certainly the other guy I would think of as being someone who who, who really clearly can show the curious what a great filmmaker does you know and, and what a, but 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 hitchcock more so because it's personality you know that the car not sinking all the way for a second is him having just a great time with the audience you know mm-hmm. and when you already know his personality from his other movies you have a great time too kind of because you know okay. he's sitting there poking you in the ribs and we talked about that with jaws like with when when they're when they find the boat in the water and, and they have that the head pops out underneath like there's you know mm-hmm. he's, he's fucking with you <laughs> like he knows he's right. no doing. <laughs> when here's um, vera so, miles who's a makeup from she was supposed to be in vertigo but she was pregnant so then she he which pissed up. hitchcock off he was not happy yeah. about this yeah. <laughs> like that was supposed to be his next like hitchcock that blonde is, lady that is yep. a true story so, so he, she's like you know what you're not getting north by northwest you're gonna be in slumming it in psycho the wrong man she's in right she's great she's in the wrong man yeah which is that's right before vertigo right like the the run hitchcock has (laughs) like like just naming these movies (laughs) 
which is again why why you know upon making why it would be we just think oh why would it be difficult to make Psycho like after right. look at the filmography he did before that movie yeah. so it's 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 funny how even the most accomplished filmmaker depending on the material sometimes have a has a hard time getting something done I mean even looking at like something that would be considered mid or lower tier Hitchcock like Trouble with Harry is still excellent. Oh, like, yeah. It's still a brilliant movie. The filmmaking, the suspense in it, and the- I knew I knew nothing about Trouble with Harry until I bought the masterpiece collection on DVD, oh. and I and I got to that one, and right. I was just like, okay, so what's this about? And I watched, I was like, oh, it's pretty funny. <laughs> like that's yeah, my reaction. Really to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like the Vermont and Charlie McLean. Yeah, that's true. That was him doing like a like a uh, what's it the. Um, not the archers. The archers. What? What are like the? Uh, a little bit the, like uh, Alan Pressburger. Yeah, like the, like a sort of black comic. What? Yeah. What? What are the um, the um, the Alec Guinness movies like Lady oh, Killer? Uh, Ealing. The Ealing. Ealing. Yeah, it was um, like that. Felt like him trying to do like an Ealing thing. But yeah, you can see. I mean, obviously, Alan Pressburger. I mean, we haven't even talked about um, uh, Peep Show yet. Peeping, Peeping Tom yet. Um, this scene is right here. This scene with oh yeah, this interrogation here. This, like I'm telling you, oh, the, yeah. the hero of the movie right here, Arbogast. <laughs> he's my oh. he's my guy. <laughs> but it's funny. You're now in Norman's shoes, shifted from Janet Lee. So you're worried right. about him getting caught every right. time you come back to him. It's really bizarre. It's twisted at the time too to make a you know more innocent time uh, uh, audience do feel that way. We talked over to Steph, but we we had Vera Miles. We also had John Gavin. John Gavin. I've, I've said this movie is perfect. If there's any weak link, <laughs> I don't think he's bad, but no. he just he it's just seems like impressive. He yeah. seems a slightly lower step than the re- like everything else in the in that's going on in this movie. Yeah. It's vaguely colorless. I feel like that's the role really calls for someone who's completely just a, a wooden board. Yeah, you don't need to focus right. on him, but at the same time. Well, we talk, talk about it. You talked about like Brandon. You mentioned like every character in this movie seems to matter to some degree, as far as right. any, even the little extras right. or what have you. Gavin is in this movie for a significant amount of time, and he doesn't leave much of an impression. His him I mean, with, the, him with yeah. his shirt off is probably yeah, his that's, biggest impression. He's the he's the he's the face. He's the he's the hotness yeah. of the movie. He's the reason why Janet Lee went on the run and stuff. The, heart, the yeah, hotness let, is right here. Martin Abigail just showed up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, later later in the '60s, Gavin comes up as a name for James Bond uh, to. Yeah, place like Connery and stuff. So, um, well, and Gavin, like the what are the movies? Spartacus, Spartacus, yeah, Spartacus. same year. Same he, died, year. he died early right. on. Like, didn't he have like some like drug or alcohol he problems? No, he died 2018. 2018. <laughs> well, that was someone else, and I'm thinking, oh no, the, ah, I was mixing him up with uh, Pike from Star Trek, that actor. Um, because he's oh. in something, he's in like something like not much else, but they kind of look similar. This dialogue, I mean, the whole script is great. I mean, just this back and forth. There's a mirror. But if you look at Perkins' work in this scene, like oh, from yeah. the beginning to the end, it slowly starts to go down in yeah. terms of like energy, in terms of like com- like mm-hmm. confidence. And that, that was, the, I, guess, I think this is the scene where I found that Vince Vaughn was the weakest because he yeah. kind of, it felt very one note, this scene, like very like, ha, ha, ha. And yeah. w- whereas if you watch Perkins in the scene, it's so layered. And oh, again, yeah, hooking the audience bringing them with you and they dress Vaughn in a way that's like okay this guy's not right like they have him in like these tight clothes that don't really yeah and it's it's a bit and you you have William H. Macy who I think is doing a great job of like so good all dialogue here here's the the shots coming up right now (laughs) Macy's perfect it's both a role that fits him and there we go 
like a known role of his for like oh, the nineties. It's, 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 so it's, it's a tracking shot. I mean, it's yeah. so wonderful. <laughs> Like just on it's the camera's under his neck. Like, yeah, it's such a, like an Anthony so shot or something. Like there, there's, no, there's nothing like like the closest you get is like probably like a Velociraptor in a Jurassic Park movie from Spielberg. Right. Like that's, that's right. it makes him look like a, like a reptile the way he's chewing that candy, you know. And it's so aggressive. He's just aggressively chewing that candy. And it's just, <laughs> and the shots now the shots are getting tighter on him. Now, oh, yeah. Like just like it was getting tighter on Marion. Like it's you know the world's closing around him now as he has to bullshit his way through a new story. Well, you know what? If he had time, if he would have got the new shower curtain up in time, would they? Would he have been less nervous, less? Because he hasn't fully cleaned. That's the one thing left is like the shower curtain, right? He didn't replace it. I mean, even then, it's not like they've gone anywhere yet. You just have our right. grilling him, <laughs> right? And it, you know, it doesn't help that he's right. <laughs> yeah, he's he's in the exact spot. He's found her. Yeah. He has her handwriting. He has a picture. He's confessed to knowing her after lying to him. Yeah. I like, mean, he, it, ha- he has a it, bent over a board right here. Yeah, this is the kind of like being in the shoes and in the interest of the villain that would later like inform stuff like like television. We would love forever, like this Tony Soprano, Walter White. That like these are like the detectives, the good guy, like. We we need him to catch Norman, but we're kind of like, mm. yeah. But Norman's not even an antihero. He's, like, yeah. he's just like he's just. Well, at this point, we don't know. We don't. Um, yeah, it's more of a. It's that's the other. Is thing. he I caught mean, up it, in the middle of? Because he's not. Yeah, he's not necessarily a villain here. He's just a right. boy trying to protect his mother, seemingly right now. <laughs> Which is, you know, there's an admiration you can find in that, even though it's a horrible thing that she right. did. But at this point, you're like, we haven't met her yet. There's something going on, right? Now we're turning the interest to the house. So, you would have seen yeah. the mother at some point. But one thing I would not have ever thought was that, talk about a skillfully laid, uh, I mean, the fact that he stuffs birds now seems obvious. Well, that's how he stuffs his mother, but I don't think anyone would have made that connection because it seems like it's more of a metaphorical thing. Well, yeah, no one's, you're not walking to this movie blind thinking, Oh, he probably her mother. His probably mother probably died a long time ago, and he he, he you know, preserved her in his own way. And he and he also secretly dresses up as her and has conversations. One guy who predicted that felt pretty cool. That night. Oh yeah, <laughs> it was Truffaut. That's that's their whole conversation. <laughs> I knew it. This is supposed to be California, right? She doesn't cross over into Arizona or something. This is still it's California. Yeah. yeah. There is also on YouTube a reel of the marketing of Psycho that shows the theaters and how they were decked out and how how again it was it was it, you, there was no admittance after you know show times so people were lined up and it's quite fascinating it's quite a nice little time capsule of uh, of the release of the film um, again a real real showman real uh, you know real uh, all about spectacle and 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 creating a mystery and stuff i don't really know if that could be done now you know it's it's i'm trying to think of the last few times when that was done maybe the crying game um you know where secrets are are held and nobody actually gives them mm. um it's kind of a hard thing now but it, but you know that was that was his that was his in with this movie there are not to jump too far away from what you're saying but just looking at the film there there are there are, I think there are hints that Norman just doesn't want to get away with it. I mean, as much as we're watching him do the steps to do it, there are things I think he's maybe subconsciously doing that 
you know, just ha- have him wanting to get caught because he's done. Th- I mean, he's done this before, right? This isn't the first murder. Yeah, like, the, the, they tell us later on, like somebody else has disappeared. There's a couple this. missing girls that they yeah. figure that they, I think they find their car or something in the, like how many cars he's got in that lake or yeah. whatever. It, it's not, it's not one for swimming, uh, but the, you know, having things set up, like just the way he's reacting to certain shots, that little, that look he gives when he goes to the first hotel room and, or motel room and then moves to the next one where it's very obvious. He's like trying to hide something. And even just the idea of positioning mother in the window, mm-hmm. like it's like, what's the goal? What is the, what's the ultimate goal here? Right. I mean, he clearly feels guilt. Like that's, I think that's a big part of it. He's guilty. He can't control himself. I mean, he's going he, more and more off the rails based off he's stacking up murders at this point. Yeah, now, and he's right? got an obedience to his mother and a loyalty to her, and while being at odds with it in his head, it's yeah. He's just, that's, he's an, that's an interesting observation, by the way, saying that he, that that there's pangs where you think he 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 wants to get caught. That's really I I, I can sort of see that now. That's really interesting. Yeah, um, I think what's wow. left of him crying out for help? Yeah. It's just because he's so. I mean, he did everything, right? He killed. He killed her too, right? He killed the mother, right? Yeah, he, yeah. He poisoned. He poisoned her, he poisoned her and the boyfriend. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. I mean, well, at this point, it has to be. A, it's been what a couple of years since she died, or something like that. No, I mean, it, she died many years ago. Many I years, think, yeah. I mean, a couple right? Because they go, "Who's that buried up in Long Island Cemetery?" Which is a great like ooh moment. And, and, oh. Again, another like that's one of the scariest. Well, yes, that, makes that line reading. Oh. That line reading is amazing. Right. Who is that buried up in? Yeah, yeah, that is an amazing moment. That's the kind of thing you joke about when you say he's been dead for ten years. That's coming from this kind of stuff. <laughs> now that's the connection to Ed Gein, right? Is that he also, when his mother died, he ended yeah. up retrieving her. I don't think the real Ed Gein was anything like any of these movies. I think mean, he was kind no, of... No, they, they borrowed certain aspects. They're all, like, based on a true story, but they pulled, like, one little thing from Ed Gein. Like, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it's the, the wearing the skin, uh, <sighs> ditto Silence of the Lambs. And the bones. Like, the bones are a big thing yeah. in Texas Chainsaw. It was a shocking story in the 50s, and it certainly hadn't been... That kind of thing hadn't been reported much before in America, but mm-hmm. it's funny that, arguably, those are three of the greatest horror movies ever made. Right, yeah. You know, it's interesting. Look at you, Ed, you legend. And, you know, years from now, we'll be saying that about House of a Thousand Corpses. <laughs> the, last, uh, 25 years of his, the last 25 years of his life, Ed Gein was just uh, the barber in his prison. Mm. Never never did a violent thing. It was just kind of a dimwit. <laughs> when, when's, when's he going to pop up on, on Mindhunter? Speaking of which, of your House of a Thousand Corpses, I, 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 isn't that interesting that that when he was doing Psycho, people were sort of distancing themselves. And then it was this huge hit. And so then Universal's like, oh, we're all about Psycho. And when when um, when Rob Zombie did House of a Thousand Corpses with Universal, they were like, we don't want this movie, man. Yeah. And so he took it somewhere else. And now they have their own exhibit at Universal Studios for, for horror stuff. And it's like, he's like, yeah, it's weird that they're creating this whole haunted house and they got rid of my movie. <laughs> I mean, they, I mean they, they filmed that. Yeah, I mean, they have the Psycho House. They filmed House of a Thousand Corpses at the, at the uh, best little horror house in Texas which is like yeah. right next to it. It's yeah. right there. It's on the same, it's like, it's like two uh, yards over from the other house. It's funny how the audiences decide what, you know, like, you know, the studio kind of weans and, and worries and thinks, oh, the movie's not great. And then all of a sudden the audience loves the movie and it's like, oh, we love the movie too. It's like, Let's talk <laughs> about this a little bit. I mean, the Psycho, it's a classic now and it was, you know, it was nominated for four Oscars, but 
was it a little bit of mixed reviews when it when it initially hit like it wasn't definitely wasn't it it, it, like the runaway success wasn't there necessarily Mm -hmm. but a lot of times when you get those old reviews you get like a moral issue with like there was like a more moral sense to things rather than just approaching it from a film aspect so a lot of old reviews that will have kind of negativity can come from that that light that we don't I mean but that that really applies that applies to any era though Brad and I mean like they whatever well, reason people those have those don't the get fact, take too seriously now there are always so. critics who are decrying what they see as the right right true I'm just saying there was like a, in the 80s every 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 well, you're, you're saying that there's a reason they had the opinions on it and I agree and I mean obviously oh, yeah. the, the realm of critics has expanded since the 1960s right so, so yes there's a lot of opinions that you can read through feed through your thing and find the ones that stick out to you or whatnot it's certainly an unaccessible level you're not picking up the same paper all over the place but mm. and it's interesting it would, be, it would be it would be interesting to see like those reviews the ones that were negative to see years later after it's you know considered a classic and everything if they if because sometimes i remember roger ebert was famous for doing this where he would change his mind and he would go you know i look back on it and i changed my mind i wonder if any of those critics had kind of changed their mind from their original halloween, opinions in halloween halloween got really trashed Except for Ebert was the one that was the standard. Ebert, and then it, and then within the and everyone liked it. But at first, yeah. it was, I'm sure I'm sure that there were critics who saw Psycho as just a oh. sleazy little degenerate yeah. movie. That well, was the guy who made Rebecca. You know, for yeah. Christ's sake. Blade Runner and the Thing, famous stories. Those now have really positive. Like if you go to Rotten Tomatoes, those are pretty high. But that's not accurate of what was when '82 came around. And the thing was totally reactionary. This is too graphic. We don't want to. Oh, yeah, because it's so grisly. The gore is so And it came out the same year as E.T. And everybody wanted the nice thing. That was the other thing. Yeah, like, dirty. yeah the, the well, contrast of movies coming out in the summer of 1982 was making a huge impact. Yeah. This is like. This shot's freaky, no matter oh, yeah. what. As long no, as you no, don't know it's coming. I mean, come on. It's whole, pretty freaky. The whole setup here is freaky because we've been away from this house forever, and you know there's some woman that's murdering people, presumably. <laughs> and so now this guy's slowly stepping up the steps to the house. Now he's slowly in the house. Now he's walking up the steps, going even further in the house. Like, and it looks what, so huge behind him. Like, it's... Oh. What really dimension of hell's about? To, and now, that, like, if you're sitting in the theater, this is terrifying. The above <laughs> shot is just that's it. It's yeah, it's, that's and it's it. a jump scare. Yeah, like, you can't a, just go. Oh, it's fine. So. Like Hitchcock's not using jump scares. And the mu- the, and of course the music and the oh well, just, just how quickly she comes out nowadays would be. A it's not even that quick. She, like, she takes like a little bit of a stroll and comes out right. of the room. But, but I mean, like, it happens quick. It's like, like oh yeah, as far as yeah, and it's motivated by not revealing that it's Norman. But again, it's it's hidden and styled so well that it doesn't feel like a cheat. Well, you're not thinking about it. Huh? You're not thinking this is probably someone in disguise. You're thinking, oh, the one that... Right. Now, killed you know, killed. He had to, he, there's no way to shoot that and not give up that it's Norman except from above. Or above. Yeah, that's... Yeah. But also, yeah. just it, it's a great shot. So it's like, uh, I don't care about the, the fact that mm-hmm. I'm not seeing well, the face. You don't it's, care that he right. also got, got some narrative business out of the way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah so you're, you're right. He's preserving mystery while being by being economical <laughs> and by the way that that score i will say obviously the score is iconic i will say that i i do think that the richard band um sort of re you know uh play homage for reanimator um that he did i don't think it's a steal i think i think it warrants and has its own kind of feel and vibe and everything oh, I, I like, I like the reanimator theme. yeah yeah i like i, like yeah, that. I did too fun. it feels like a yeah it, it never felt like uh Whatever ripoffs usually feel like, it didn't feel like that. It felt like something else. Yeah. When you're already giving me like the greatest score in, in in movie history and the greatest composer in movie history, I mean, there's so many things about this movie that are just per. I mean, John. Okay, we can say John Gavin is relatively stiff, 
This is a great. I love this shot right yeah, here. This kind of point on this movie is superlative. This is a great shot too. It's like yeah. the teaser trailer. <laughs> yeah, Norman Bates has been up to no good. <laughs> oh, a lot of drives through this motel, by the way. Like it doesn't seem like an easy drive, but they're like going back and forth at this point. You yeah. know, here's the thing. Another thing with Gavin, he doesn't have anything distinct. Well, his look, he looks like every face from that era. Yeah. I mean, if you put a generic lead actor of that era, there he is. I mean, he looks like dime store Cary Grant. I, I mean, that's just like, what's going on in this movie. He kind of needs to be just the, the, the sort of dumb blonde. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I don't need his role to be more significant. It just right. it's, it it stands out because of how bland it is to me. As far as be, be, it's instead of standing up because it kind of looks a little bit like Sean Connery. So they're going to cast an American guy as James. <laughs> what was I saying? The um. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, the for, as far as the the remake goes, I mean, I, it makes me think that Viggo Mortensen, who's a very capable actor, mm. it's a pretty. I mean, it works as far as thinking of him doing this means that he's very much tapped into the idea of doing a shot for shot remake. So he's dialing himself down. Well, he has the Hitchcock remake experience too. So, he... <laughs> oh, Viggo, I like Viggo in the remake. I like the idea. He plays it more as he's a side of beef, basically. Yeah, I get. But I'm saying what I'm saying is Viggo's very talented. So the idea of him tapping into the idea of playing down in a way, I think that's interesting. Mm. It is. Because I don't think, he, uh, not visually, but I don't know that you would think that he that that would be a choice. Looking at all of the films he's 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 chosen to make, that mm-hmm. that would be a movie he'd want to do. Because you'd be like, well, what's where's the meat? You know, where's the? So that's, I mean, it is it is interesting that he would at do that point role. he's on like a universal contract though. He's got like his Carlito's right. way in daylight, and he's like, all right. But even Carlito's way, that was a great role. The one where he's in the yeah. wheelchair, I love that. That's a great role for where, where he's overplaying <laughs> it as a, as other teams. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great role. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that performance. Oh, la Lee. <laughs> when he realizes, anyway. Nineteen sixty. What a great movie, Carlito. Nineteen. I know. I love Carlito's way. It's a great movie. Nineteen sixty. A year for character face actors. All of these people were probably on the TV show, right? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, you got I know the, Vera Miles is the first movie. episode. The first episode of Hitchcock presents, which he directed, mm-hmm. is one where she's she's like this crazy lead character. She's in a few of them, right? She's uh she's she's episodes of, of that show, 13 episodes, something like that. She's in she's in the one that inspired us. <clears throat> Which one? The one where there's a double. Oh. She's the star of that episode. <laughs> Isn't that Twilight Zone? Oh, I'm thinking Twilight Zone. I'm not yeah. that bad. Yeah. I cross my mind and then I'll go to Outer Limits for whatever reason. Outer Limits, which were a lot of those written by Joseph Stefano. There you go. Just the, like this guy, like it's just a, the, everything about his face. Yeah, is a lot of great character. He's in a bunch of John Ford movies or something. I should know his. Oh name. yeah, yeah. He easily seems like a ranch hand. Yeah. <laughs> just great because look at the look at the idea of the composition, both composition and people's faces. The backgrounds are just backgrounds. It's just a house. Like who cares? But it's 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 the dialogue. It's the it's the it's the the. Um, the the angle and it's those great character faces, man. John McIntyre, oh, who played the uh, the uh, he was on the Virginian for four seasons. I believe that. 
the Hitchcock Blonde. Two of them in here, I guess. By the way, you were talking earlier about that iconic shot of Perkins just standing there. Again, another example of doing so much while doing so little. Um, not trying so... I, I, there's, there's something so beautiful about seeing work like that when somebody's not trying hard. They're just being the character. And that's that. Mm-hmm. Perkins just nails that, man. Oh, it's such a great moment. One thing about the way he starts to carry himself from that <laughs> arbitrary scene on. Yeah. He sees it as, okay, I, I got away with, the, the, with hiding the body, but now it feels like, no, I'm getting away with a lot more than that. Well, he's, sl- he's like, slowly yeah, 100% becoming mother. Like, his yeah, transformation oh, yeah. at the end of the movie is complete. That's right. It's great. watching the movie now um <laughs> even that look you're at waiting for you're waiting for that line you're like that's uh, not that's such great composition mm-hmm. the four faces lined up like that it is a great sense of reveal as far as the sheriff you know he has a level of information that they don't know yet but there he's trying to understand what this story is and <laughs> he's trying to reason with them as far as where Armageddon is like there's just a lot here that's like so much of those movies, there's a lot of you know expositional areas to get into, and Hitchcock just finds ways to tackle them in interesting ways that feel different, keep you on your toes, keep you excited about learning the information as opposed to you know feeling bored waiting for it. If this was a Platinum <laughs> Dune psycho, they would be these two people would be in on it, helping to cover up. <laughs> You leave that boy alone. Well, if it was Platinum Dunes, like the camera would be like coming down the stairs and like doing 360s around. Everybody looks sweaty. Everybody <laughs> like sweaty looking. There was has to be a justification. I was saying that I was thinking about that last house on the left, and it was because in the end of the, the, the in the original film, they were they knew the daughter was dead, and they went after the things after the the killers. It was vicious, and in the remake, the daughter wasn't dead, so they it gave them it took some of that onus off of the viciousness and went, oh, they're doing it to save the daughter. Mm. Yancy, what were you saying about Platinum Dunes? Oh, it was before Platinum. I'm trying to remember what I was going to say. <laughs> Before Platinum Dunes, we were talking about t- ruin. Why? I'm sorry, we, we, I, I, Jason. You cut out again, but I know you're saying you're, you're saying that the, oh, the last the last house on the left remake just it just it doesn't justify the villains as much because it just takes away from the right from the impact. Just of, changing of, something of, small, something so small, can make such a huge difference. My my thought on Last House on the Left remake was not enough cops. That was my issue with it, but um. <laughs> Yeah, cops Yancy, have the best music. Yancy, did you have something? I'm sorry. Yeah, I forgot what we were talking about. I'm sorry. It's all right. Okay, okay. <laughs> It'll come back to me. Yeah, let's, let's just look for more bird paintings. And coming up, that's not one. And a nice conversation. Love that. <laughs> and now you do have to be like wondering what's up because yes, like now, now you have this information that that um, the right. mother's the mother's been dead presumably. So now Norman's walked upstairs. And you're not seeing inside what's happening here. So it's like, what is happening here? I, I, it's leaving you again for like new viewers. It's leaving you on your toes. Like, mm-hmm. how does this? Like, what is the situation here? This is weird. Like, that's what I was gonna say. I remember now. Hitchcock. This movie is a perfect example, and you've mentioned it four or five times just naturally in watching it. I've always thought, from a certain school of thought, there's no reason why any scene in a movie should not be interesting. No scene should just be right for 
ex- exposition, you know, and, and and yet a lot of movies, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that's just there to get shoe leather. Talk, find something, some way to make every scene interesting, which is uh, I think Quentin Tarantino does that a little bit too. Oh, yeah. But some of them don't get the time and money to do that. They don't get the ability to get all the coverage. I guess I guess it's coverage, but it feels it's not so easy to put a finger on why was that scene with the sheriff and his wife? Why was that scene interesting as opposed to just being your standard exposure? Right. No, I, I, I totally get and agree with what you're saying. I'm just saying yeah. sometimes those but that's when you can see who's better than the others because they can do much more creatively with less. I think was was, afforded, I saw the Hitchcock the Anthony Hopkins. Was he afforded unable to get away with some of this stuff because he was Hitchcock? Similar to Spielberg and Saving Private Ryan, where this is kind, kind of, sort of. I mean, it, it was a mix of. I mean, there were people that were fighting him on things, and he was making certain concessions. But at the same time, Hitchcock is mischievous enough where he can get away with things, or he can convince one right. person to do one thing so he goes around the other person, that kind of stuff. Well, I mean, right. he was kind of self-producing this this thing, so no one was really had an eye on him. With well, yeah, it was a, it's a cheap right. movie and he, yeah. and he, and he used his, his own crew and everything. So yeah. Like, yeah it was, and put a lot of his own stuff, his own blood, sweat and tears into it. And I think that's why, again, he went with some of those choices to, mm-hmm. to, to unsettle the audience a little bit and go, no, no, no. If we're going to, if I'm going to put everything I have into this, I want it to be slightly off kilter, slightly, slightly yeah. more controversial than what I've done before. Mm-hmm. I also just think he's a likable guy. So, like, when you hear stories like the movie was submitted and they thought it was too crazy, and they said re-edit it, and then he just turns it back in, making no edits, and they're like, "Oh, great changes, sir!" Like, I mean, there's, which is that's a, I don't know if that's bullshit or not, but that's a great story, and it makes me think Hitchcock's just really good at selling. Like, he's, he's really good at like talk business if you make making movies. And like, yeah, I, I, I can I can imagine him walking into an office and being like, "Oh yeah, we made all the changes." It's gonna be. You're gonna. You're gonna love it. It's gonna be fine. It's gonna you be guys fine. were right about those. It looks yeah, a lot I, better. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> oh, it, would, it, it may be true then that in 1960, the idea of the director as a as a star attraction was more of a factor than it is now. For some, I mean, someone of his stature, where you have your own TV show named after you. I mean, there's. Sure, but I mean, there were. Other, I think there were a lot of American directors who probably had similar stature where you could say, I don't know, William Wyler's new movie. Oh yeah, people knew who they were. I mean, I'd say there's only, I'd say there's only so many, which is why it worked. There's only so many that have that level of appeal. Maybe with producers, you got, you know, like a new David O'Selznick or something, but I mean, there's there was more then than there is or were able to put their name above the title, which is like, I mean, where their I name, mean, where, where the general public is wants to see. I'm trying to think of a, I'm trying to think I of mean, a period where that was really a, a thing. As far as there's so many of, there's so many directors that are marquee names. There are certainly always marquee names when it comes to directors. Less so, I mean, now it's what Tarantino and Nolan, like that's it, pretty yeah. much. I mean, but um, and, yeah, brothers, I think can draw yeah. up an audience. I mean, I mean but in terms but, of like, in terms of selling a blockbuster. Yeah, selling a blockbuster. Yeah, selling a blockbuster selling film. You, I mean, even Spielberg's name doesn't necessarily automatically draw everybody into it. Uh, sure. But like in in the eighties, it did, right? I mean, like the eighties, nineties, and eighties. Yeah, it was. If you Spielberg. say Spielberg and Lucas are making a film together, people are going to spit out their soda and be like, "What?" Right. <laughs> and even they'd have to direct it. They would just put uh, Steven Spielberg presents. Yeah, and, and it's, it's, it's like, production. oh, we have to go see. Go. So I'm trying to think of like in the '60s, if let alone the '50s and '40s, like were there were there that many names, or there's ones that obviously stick out to us? I think there were more names because of, because of the nature of the audience was a little. That's more. fair. Yeah. 
And I mean that the and the po- the posters were cooler that way too. They'd really po- put the posters, they put the text much more into it. The sale the sale of a film the the way they talk to they talk to the directors to sell the film a little bit more in the public eye, and you go to it was kind of like a play like someone putting on like a Broadway production like you wanted to go see that person's new production with film it was kind of similar and I, I feel like people. As much as we think we're more informed now, I feel like they were informed then quite well too. There wasn't as much to keep up with, obviously. But well, the, I mean, the main difference because I say this a lot. I say like people talk about trailers giving away too much these days. Trailers have always given oh. away everything, and they're if, right. if anything they're worse. They give you the end of the movie, and they're like, "See, this is what you're going to get." That but said, they weren't the, meant but picked apart back then. They were yeah. The, 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 dif- the difference is there's no internet. There's no you can't right. you can't just pick up a trailer anywhere you go. You have to go no, to the movies, the movies to see the trailer. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. the only way to see a trailer for a movie. And even then, that movie's not coming out for a while. Like so, it's it's a road show, so you have to wait for it to come to your town. So by right. that time, you're just like, "Oh yeah, I saw a preview." That a while ago. What happens in it? I don't know. Humphrey Bogart's in it. I don't, what's it? Like that's, that's it. And Hitchcock's trailers were pretty pretty clever, man. This right, one, yep. the one for the birds, where he just talks about you know he's in a room and talks about the birds and oh well, yeah, Hitchcock. It's, it's, it's clever. He, he's a showman, so he can yeah. he can get away with that. He doesn't need, <laughs> he doesn't need to show you footage from the movie. You're coming to you're coming to see something from him. Show you him. That's he, he's that guy. Well, and like <laughs> William Castle, same deal. Oh, but yeah. his, right. his would be Definitely. like, I don't know what this is about, but it has 3D glasses. So I you know. <laughs> And, and a tingler said, under the and a tingler yeah. under the seat. <laughs> so, so it's called the tingler. He said something about that. Uh, Might be know. a bat that flies by you during the movie. Like, right. <laughs> like I'm going to the movies, and a lot of times, movies back then, like you just went to the theater for an afternoon. <laughs> there was like, oh yeah, you uh, had a whole playing. show because you yeah. you had serials, you had newsreels, you had a movie. And I really like that on like the like the the um, Blu-ray presentations are like Casablanca, where you can not only watch Casablanca, but you can watch the yeah, you can yeah. watch the the the, the newsreels and the commercials right. and everything beforehand, like give you the whole show entertainment. It was a very people's attitudes towards movies have just really evolved interestingly over the hundred years of movies existing. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Now you want to see it so you can get to the end, know what happens. Yeah. Now it's just a checklist almost <laughs> right. with a lot of them. Now you kind of want to see it so you could tell yourself how you could have done it better and you could have made that money. And you, you don't want to have a conversation. You want to have one line to say about it and that's it. This doesn't apply to everybody. This applies to people that listen to this podcast, but I mean, it's still right. a thing where things have changed a bit and it's unfortunate. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. People feel like a lot of times with like today's climate that they don't get enough development and stuff from characters because they need it in a drawn out 10 episode Everybody's, Netflix I, series. Right. Everybody, yeah, everybody is on the other side and everybody thinks they know about storytelling. But meanwhile, well, like, like, an iconic character is the police officer whose name I don't even know just because he showed up one scene and like said yeah. some things. But you know everything about him that you need to know. Like I don't need to see what John Gavin was doing before he met up with her for an hour to fully informed like oh it's so much deeper now he was probably like useless picking out sheets or something and like folding some pants it's useless which, information he's a, he's and, like, a boring too guy much. <laughs> which every media medium has its you know ups and downs but i i i almost i i have i have even more respect for people who write film and create you know those layers and those leg that the, the legacy of, of what their of their work and that kind of stuff because a TV show allows you so much time to really get into the layers and the details of a thing, but to be able to do that in a singular film is, yeah. is still is still a huge skill that not everybody possesses. So I go um, and, one, can, and can do it right. So. I go one further and say that's why I've really come to appreciate short film over the year. It's something that mm. that Anna, that she's 
she's you know she's been a big part of short films as far as being a programmer for the Newport Beach Film Festival and like watching more and more of those it's so impressive to see filmmakers that can really tap into telling a complete especially the great ones they can tap and tap into telling a complete story that gives you all the information you need supplies you exactly with the emotional arc you're supposed to go on and gives you enough of the characters where you're like I'm satisfied by you know the 16 minutes I just spent with this for sure. And those are the ones who I'd love, uh, you know, like when we were, I was telling you, I, I watched a, a ton of shorts from Scream Fests this year. Um, those are the ones I'd love to see features of, because if they can take that five, ten minutes and make a layered, amazing short that just engages the crap out of me. Imagine what they can do, hopefully, with a, with a, with a feature film. I'd, I'd, I'd love some, to see some, do. some do that. Some, some, yeah. some feel that need to transcend. Some are just happy making short films and more power to them. Mm-hmm. Here, here. That's a good shot of when they when they reveal Norman just like standing there waiting when John Ganalogs and I like that one. I, Here's I another this. one of the house looming, which is yeah. really cool too. I love it. Again, pure watching. daytime, but still creepy. We're watching her as if we're the house watching her approach us. I love mm-hmm. that feeling. Because you're like at this point, if I keep saying at this point, that means like you're in the theater watching this for the first time. At this point, you have some crazy woman maybe in the basement, I guess, and now the third person or you know the next person is going into the house, and so you're in the audience thinking, "Shut up, Vera Miles, and go back to the other way." Like no one needs to get in there. That's, nothing good's going to happen out of that. <laughs> Such work with the like these shots of this house too. Like mm-hmm. Arbogast like walks up slowly and it's sad, and you're like, "Oh, what's going to happen here?" Now you're like, just getting to the doorknob is like a stressful. It's like, ah, oh, get away from this. <laughs> no, thank you. I'd love to, I always, when we watch these older, any older movie, I always love to think, well, what, if you took an audience of smart, like 18 to 20 year olds and you sat them in a theater and you showed them a great print of this movie, would they at a certain point get over the fact that there are certain things that market as dated? And by this point, would they be into the movie? Or the only thing they- I... The only thing I, I could I could answer a little bit of that, and I think because I have a I have a, a son who's twenty who grew up watching movies with me that I kind of taught film to. So, um, and, and I've seen millennials who are the same age do YouTube videos and say, "Oh, this is cheesy and whatnot." I think it definitely depends on your background in film, what you watched between this and the rest of the stuff. Because I don't think Will would laugh at any of this stuff. I mean, when he first saw it, it was like. You know, it, it, it was a visceral experience for him. But I just I saw a YouTube video recently where somebody was like, oh, it's kind of cheesy and it's kind of dated. And I think it depends on your history in terms of films you watched, in terms of what you know about film, practical mm-hmm. versus CGI versus, you know, the history of film and stuff. I think that takes a, a big it's a big part of of where you're coming from in terms of when you watch a film. Yeah, it's all atmosphere. Wow. It's all atmosphere as far, I mean, beyond, you know, upbringing and what have you and what you're used to as far as how you're experiencing cinema, atmosphere makes a huge part of it. That's why, Brandon, you talked about this before, where mm-hmm. while going to watch Halloween in a theater, it feels like a no win at this point because people just don't seem to, they don't want to be into it. They don't appreciate technique or recognize technique, and that's a problem, and they just see old, they don't put themselves like, hey, this was made in a different era, not now, and they don't know and like like my kids i'm bringing them up i'm giving them a variety i'm not forcing stuff but i'm making sure they have a variety of things from different eras to kind of like appreciate different how different effects were and see so they grow up with that not just suddenly dawning upon them that some you know guy in a costume comes out as a monster and that's oh ha 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 but they can see it as that's effective but i I showed them the birds and it flipped them out it was awesome yeah see what you're saying just, you can't, I mean, I, I don't know. You, you can't, you got to be pretty shallow to dismiss something like 
an older movie is dated and not realize that everything is dated eventually, if that's all you care about. Mm -hmm. And that it's the thing that isn't dated, the core of humanity, that's exactly the same. I think people are perhaps uncomfortable with the thought that someone who lived 60 years ago is fundamentally, well, exactly the same being. We're not more evolved physically than we were 60 years ago. And, but I think people are, 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 these days are, are, are really put off put off by the ways in which certain movies feel phony to them. It's a shame because like I'm, I was also, my dad raised me very well to to appreciate good movies, not just new movies, you know, Mm -hmm. but this is this just real quick on the screen. This is creepy too, because this is just like a child's room. Like, and, and then you're just thinking about like what what's implied by Norman and who he is Mm -hmm. when you have the impression of his mother in the other room and you have just like this, you know, little boy's room and has like other kinds of things like, okay, the, Animals. And isn't that fascinating? She opens a book and they don't even show it. What the- <laughs> That's so cool. It's probably just like how to how to stuff a bird or something like that. <laughs> I, I would say you guys this. I did I did when I did the 4K set of Hitchcock stuff that came out recently. I did force my eight year old son to watch Vertigo, and I told him I go, warning, you're probably going to find a lot of this boring. You might not be into it. Let's watch it now, and we're going to pick this up in like three to five years, and you're going to watch it again. And you're gonna see something, and we're gonna we're gonna continue to come back to this movie because I, this movie unlocks things, with the different age stuff like that. And he was bored by it. He sat through it. He was he's like, okay, I'll do this, and he wasn't bored. But for the next week, he wanted to talk about Vertigo and reference Vertigo things, and yeah. he'll still make Vertigo references. So it did have a, a good effect on him. But I, I just it's an experiment because with me, Vertigo has always given me something different at every spot in life. And every I mean, time like I pick it, it up. I first thought as a kid, I was bored. I thought, well, that's not his best movie. And no, every yeah. time I see it, I've come closer and closer to be like, yeah, okay, I get and it. And my head gets in different spaces, creates yeah. different narrative aspects. Like, it's a really... It always is like that line in 12 Monkeys where Bruce Willis yeah. says, you know, you... You can, the movie doesn't change, but you do. So every time you see it, it's a different movie. Yes, yes. Yeah. All, all, all this stuff right here, I'm sorry, is just very frightening as far as you know she's down there. So now it's like, what's going to happen? Like, the, just the idea of being oh, on this your This is Laurie right Strode right. crossing the street to go to the other house. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's what it is. So to, speak, to speak back to that real quick, because I agree with what you guys are saying as far as the way people watch certain movies. That said, the biggest examples I already always have as far as audiences that seem just trained to pay attention is watching those Paranormal Activity movies. I saw each one of those at a midnight screen because that was just the way to do it because it was really fun to watch that way and they all everyone re- responded the right way you're supposed to they mm-hmm. like they had fun with it this is great oh, this, this <laughs> by the way the jerk the, the jer- when she turns and there's that little slight jerk yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a huge story about that about go- t- doing multiple tastes because Hitch wanted that little jerk thing at the end oh, uh-huh. and it does it makes it it's dirty it's, yeah. oh, it's, it's creepy <laughs> it's and that it's just it's the exact right speed as far as okay it's turning that's what it is, and it's still like it just feels so tangible. <laughs> it's just well, like I, I love that they have to undress. Like he has to shake the wig off, and then he slowly uh-huh. unbuttons everything. Yeah. Uh, the lights just moving around, and the eyes and everything, and that's it. Like that's the last we see of like most of these characters. At this point. like we're gonna see them kind of, but like they're not. It's, mm-hmm. it's not about them anymore. The movie no. shifted. <laughs> And the, yeah, the, we we've, we've talked about it a little bit, but yeah, the music just throughout this thing is just spectacular. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh man, the score is just fantastic. One of the few scores I can listen to, like a CD or you know, uh, the whole score itself as an album, and it's not it's it's not boring. Philip Baker Hall is this role, right? In the 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, Robert, yeah. Forster. Robert Forster is this all. Philip Baker Hall is the sheriff. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. So again, perfect. Both of those are perfect. That's, that's even better. Yeah. <laughs> that's <an> upgrade. Yeah. <laughs> I always wanted to do this when I was in high school. I always wanted to do this scene. Just this one man show of you explaining more dates. Five minute monologue. Like, no one will make any sense. <laughs> no one will get it. It'll just be me enjoying it. <laughs> You're ruining Psycho for people who haven't seen it, which is almost everybody. You can't, ru- but this is the thing. This is one of those movies that you could tell somebody it, and then they still yeah. love it. Seeing yeah, that's what's that's what I think is lost. There's something that's lost yeah. nowadays. If you told me the ending of a movie, you ruined it. There's no point to ever see it, and that means that the actual artistry of watching it unfold is totally right. lost on you. You don't even want to know about that artistry because then you got to think about the artist and how they make more money than you do, and fuck, life sucks. Mm-hmm. I think that's where the, where the mind goes with a lot of these things. So we just can't afford. Modern audiences cannot afford to be generous to the filmmakers or the artists behind the scenes because they don't even want to really think that they exist. And then yeah. the idea of repeat, the idea of something repeating, going, okay, well, I know what the twists are, I know what the turns are, but I want to go see this movie again anyway. If they mm-hmm. if they liked it and just liked it for the twists and turns, and they're never going to watch it again, right. how skilled was that movie done? You know right. what I mean? Like, and 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 especially in today's day and age, because because people kind of watch that first weekend and then just bail. And right. uh, so what you can really tell the artistry and the skill of somebody who really you know put that didn't just go for the twists and turns, like had them, but that wasn't the crux of the story or the genius of that of that movie and you can see it based on the, the movie doing well weekend over weekend over right. weekend where you go yeah this is a great movie i want to part, watch part it of again. that part of that is character stuff too as far as you just enjoy being with these people it's that uh, it certainly serves that serves it when it comes to a lot of the superhero movies regardless of how much how well made you think they are it's because people generally like watching these actors have this banter generally like no, matter, no matter how filling that might be on a substantial level it's still there for people to enjoy that's why they're that's why they make the money weekend over weekend the craft is is enjoyable every time you watch it it doesn't matter that you know what's going to happen hitchcock is so good leading by the hand that you're like you're just happily happy to do it and you notice something more about the craft every time so if you're not in it for movies are cool and i like the art form of movies if that's not even on your radar then that explains a lot about modern audiences i don't i don't know talking about this scene a little bit as far as the explanation we're giving here i mean we've just seen norman bates dressed as his own mother and you know you have the line thrown out where it says transvestite where that's at the time that's another like you know, big word as far as, well, you know, yeah. you're not hearing something like that in a major motion picture very often. It's not, and it's not even, lexicon it's, at all. It's not even accurate as far as what's happening here. It's just his own, it's a personality shift. So it doesn't even apply, but just the fact that he's saying it and he has, then they have to clarify that to an audience. That's new. That's not something you're seeing. Mm-hmm. I think Hitchcock knows what he's doing too. This scene is calming us down. It's explaining what happened. It's rare. It's an under- We understand the psychology behind it. Well, we're still going to end on this creepy moment of Norman. It leaves you on a scare. I mean, yeah, it beats yeah. beats Carrie to that punch. It yeah, still gives yeah. you something. <laughs> and that cool death's head, right? Where like it's isn't it the his face leading into the car? You see the skull for a second. The mom skull. You see yeah. that the skull is like a yeah. frame on there, and it's oh, yeah. perfect and frightening. Yeah. Is it getting any scarier for Hitchcock? I mean, like frenzy has stuff in it, right? But I mean, like the birds. I mean, the birds, I guess. I, just, I mean, he's I not. I mean, he mastered horror in a couple films, but he was the master of suspense. Yeah, I yeah, go, but it's yeah. But, yeah, the but birds I, is more it's like existentially frightening, and frenzy is. I would a, say if you had Hitchcock's horror films, it'd be Psycho, The Birds, and Frenzy. I don't. Frenzy, yeah. Yeah. 
maybe the lodger. Oh, I was gonna say the lodger. lodger. Oh yeah, yeah, the lodger. Yeah. But he's more. I mean. Oh, yeah, I know. I know. He's a he's a thriller guy. He's a thriller noir he really, guy. He more has that Coen Brothers thing of you know person yeah. on a. He is a but Coen they Coen knock Coen. it out too. Like that's that's the thing I've I've said a long time. I was like these if these guys wanted to, they could knock out some horror movies if they really just felt like mm-hmm. doing he has, it. He has a Coen Brothers thing of everything and people do is pretty funny to me. It yeah. seems like no, for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. The unsaid thing in a Hitchcock movie is always that there's something absurd about everybody's behavior. He knows it, and you know, but we're not going to say it. Yes, you know? but he's also like he does. I don't think he thinks his characters are idiots, like the Coen Brothers no. do. I think that's the other thing. I think he's thinking about the dark, sticky reasons why people are really doing things. Yeah, and he, mm-hmm. you know, which is I mean, that's why if you want to talk about like movies that are on a slightly lesser level, it's like The Wrong Man's really interesting to me. Where like you right. have Henry Fonda, who's right. you know the epitome of nice at that point. It's like he's so good, and it's like he's so he's so trapped in the scenario, and it sucks for him. It sucks. It sucks even more for for Vera Miles in that movie who uh-huh. doesn't get to come back from the abyss at the end. Well, I mean, I, this is I. This shot's really just the fact that he's so isolated now. I just I like how mm. how wide that feels, and then it like boxes in on him as you get to this ending monologue. And again, what a great like just non-verbal now. This performance is he's just thinking yeah. out loud to you on the screen as you get this narration in mother's voice, which is all kinds of creepy. This must've been wild to stagger back out into the daylight after seeing a matinee of this in 1960 and just be like, Oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, was, I wasn't expecting that. Do you guys see psycho? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Want to watch the blob again later? Yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> with Steve in McQueen. Yes. <laughs> here we go. This just this Cheshire cat smile. He's put on his face right here. And he that look at the camera. God, this is just uh. amazing. <laughs> and there it is. Yeah, the yeah. frame. And what a just weird ending, too. It's like now we pull the car out. Like out of this yeah. sludge. Subconscious being pulled up. Yeah. yeah. There's the money. It's back. Just a wonderful movie all the way around and unsettling still, you mm-hmm. know, 60 years later as you watch this thing get absorbed into it. Um, boy, that's a, that's a good one. I, I would go back and say that the the, uh, the set that you were talking about, the Hitchcock set that has all of the, the, the Universal set, the yeah, uh, yeah. Blu-ray set that has all of those different films in it, what an amazing set. And anybody who is a Hitchcock uh, fan or wants to know more about Hitchcock, that is a fantastic set to kind of go through his films and see uh, and see, see like his filmography. 16 of them in there. Yeah, it's, um, it's a fantastic set. Yeah. And all the bonus materials. You have guys, you have like Guillermo del Toro, William Freakin, John Carpenter, all like yucking it up about Hitchcock on a couple, many of the films on there. Yeah, time and, has been uh, Bogdanovich, kind. Bogdanovich, yeah, Bogdanovich is one of them too. Of course, time time has been kind when it comes to supplementing the Hitchcock films. <laughs> like everyone's happy to talk about them. Um, anything else? Because as we wrap this up, the movie's over at this point. But there's so many great things that we've discussed. I feel like we could probably don't go be on afraid to go on to Psycho Two. Psycho Two was great. Yeah, it's very worthy. I might pop like that in. I think the remake is good. I think the remake is a worthy, worthy, weird little one shot of a movie. I know I'm. Not everyone agrees, but I don't. Th- I mean, I don't think it's unworth seeing because it's not not interesting. Like the fact that it exists makes it unique into itself. It's. I. I wish I liked it more, but I don't. 
I don't feel like I don't. I never feel like I waste my time with something that's trying to do something, and that's certainly trying to do something on the psycho disc is what it should be. That's why we should. Yeah, if it was a supplement here, that'd be that'd be nice. I could agree. Yeah. Um, yeah. So something something I've been waiting for is when um, I mentioned this already. When Peeping Tom is going to finally get its Criterion Blu-ray, right? It's been on Criterion forever, but like, when is that upgrade coming? A movie that was equally controversial, so controversial, it got him fired. And like, Powell was like, "Just like, we're out. You're out. Get out of here. <laughs> like, we don't mm-hmm. want you anymore." <laughs> like, that's how extreme that movie was. And yeah, it came out the so. same same year. Similar premise, similar idea going on. A lot of like shared themes. I just I and it's a really it's a really good movie. That's the other thing. So it's mm-hmm. but uh, we'll save that for the the Palin Pressburger retrospective that we're putting together. When we talk, um, a, a, a matter of life and narcissist is what I'm going to call it. But that's going to do it for this commentary track. Uh, we've been talking a lot about Psycho. I hope you guys enjoyed. Where can people find your guys's work online? Let's start with Jason Coleman. Yeah, you can, uh, same, same as these guys, whysoblue.com, again, uh, recently just covered all of the films at ScreamFest, so all the, the features and all the shorts, um, so if you want to get the skinny on uh, this year's horror crop, feel free to read that stuff, and uh, of course, I'm also the founder of Flicks for Fans, um, with, along with my buddy Jimmy O, and uh, you can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and then we do have a, uh, a YouTube page that has uh, a retro- uh, Friday the 13th that we did earlier this year, a 40th anniversary immersive screening, and it's got a little video there, so if you missed it, you can check it out. And uh, yeah, that's that's where we are. Yancy, let's shoot to you. Where can people find more of you? You know, I'm, I'm thinking about starting something. I'm thinking about starting some sort of a podcast or at least getting a job as the sideman on the Peter Parrish show. Um, <laughs> sort of. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, you know, you know I, I'm on Twitter, Yancy Jack, Facebook as me. I, I need to get more productive with this stuff. But, uh, but right now, these, these are my biggest outlet to these commentaries so i love them i'm raising i got a nine-month-old son my first child so that's uh, taking quite a bit of time and attention from my movie love but not forever <laughs> nice golf clap golf clap <laughs> brandon p is where can people find more of you uh twitter and instagram at brandon 4k uhd and uh weiss blue for my blu-ray reviews and of course the brandon peters show uh my podcast which um about to turn into november where I have a pretty big month plan, but I got guests, uh, Sabina Graves. So she's a filmmaker and head writer over at something scary. We're talking Adam's family values, which is the perfect turn from horror into Thanksgiving. Just yeah. it yes. works. Uh, I got, uh, also John Roca from outlaw nation, uh, Schmodown. We're talking good, ba- good, the bad and the ugly and author Prez Maxson. We're talking Dave the Jackal. So that's some of what's coming in November. Oh. And I've got some, a couple other things later in the month that are going to be fun. That's going to get me to watch my Arrow Blu-ray of Day of the Jackal. That's, that's mm-hmm. a, and, and continue to burn the fire that is the Jackal. Um, that movie's not good. Um, you can find everything I do at thecodazeek.com. My personal blog, everything I do ends up over there. I'm also writing reviews at Why you Live, We Live Entertainment. Blu-ray reviews at whysofblue.com. Occasional film interviews are a variety. And I'm on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. You can find this podcast everywhere you can find podcasts. Out now, out there today. Find us. Find us on iTunes. Give us an iTunes rating and review. That'd be great. Uh, our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram page, all that stuff, you know, where you can find all those things. Uh, I want to thank you guys, Brandon, Yancey, and Jason, for joining me for the Psycho Commentary Track, the conclusion to our October 2020 horror specials. It's been a, and it's been a great month. I, I've been yeah. so happy and proud oh, to be gosh. here for all all uh, all of them, except for arachnophobia. Um, <laughs> but I did listen and I enjoyed it much. So yeah, a great time. Thank you so much for including me on all these October horror ones, and uh, real thrill for sure.
It's always great. And then nice to end on one of the best movies we've ever done a commentary for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, no. question. <laughs> nice. I was honored to be able to speak at all over the shower scene. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, yeah. glad to have you guys here. Glad to do these pot, these podcast commentaries. For sure. Yeah. Glad to do these podcast commentaries. What's next? November? We'll come up with some stuff. We got There's, there's a lot of things we can do in November. But that's going to do it for this week's episode. So until next time, so long and goodbye. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Olsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at thebrandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at thebrandonpetershow.com. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found. 